you know, it's natural. Like, so who's who's my dad? <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> so you have <laughs> you didn't fuck a swan, right? <laughs> Need a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Word of the Witnesses, our 12 Monkeys Rewatch podcast. As always, a reminder, we spoil from beginning to end. This is Rewatch. If you haven't seen the whole series, go watch the series. Come back and discuss it with us then. So today we're going over episode 209, Hyena. We're actually in the home stretch here of season two, and uh, this one's a whopper, apparently. Um, so today, well, this is Beep, and I'm joined as always by Cece. Hey, guys. And today we're also introducing Meg. Hello. Meg! Hi! Uh, <laughs> it's your first time on! We're I know! Have you. Thank you, thanks for having me. Can I just say, also, when you guys messaged me, like, hey, we're at Hyenas, do you want to be on? I was like, you guys immediately thought of me when you got to the, like, vigilante girl gang episode? <laughs> yes, we did! <laughs> My online brand is so strong. <laughs> Tell us about yourself. Where are you recording from and where can people find you on the Twitter? Hello, hello. I am coming to you guys from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at megsaysthings. Or <laughs> I was going to say dot com. You can find me on Twitter at megsaysthings. <laughs> That's how Twitter works. I know stuff. Some listeners might have. I feel like you you had a, a very entertaining live tweet of watching Twelve Monkeys because you binged it pretty recently. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. I was trying to remember how much I because I'm not. I'm really bad with like the consistent uh, live tweeting. Like sometimes I'm like all over shows or episodes or whatever, and then sometimes I just like completely fall off. And I couldn't remember how much of my breakdown happened publicly. <laughs> how much was uh, behind closed doors? <laughs> I feel like I feel like it was it was you know like very witty and being like I really hope we're gonna find out where J- Heck Jones got all those cigarettes and then I think okay I- but like for real though. <laughs> And that, you know, and it was like witty, and then it started to get more like plaintive wailing by season four. I do remember after Demons, I was like flat out like, I'm not watching the rest of this show. I don't care if there are only three episodes left. I quit. I'm done. <laughs> I remember, I think I messaged Megan. I was like, I'm not joking. I'm done. <laughs> So I got slightly unhinged there towards the end. <laughs> we couldn't tell you that I felt so cruel. I'm like, I can't tell her it'll be okay. I just got to just sit there and watch her suffer. <laughs> oh, well, because that was, I remember I had, I had like binged a bunch of episodes like late at night and I had like, I had to get up at like work or for work at like 530 the next day. So I was at the point, it was like one in the morning. Like I couldn't watch anymore that night and like function the next day. And I had to stop there. That's so, the only place you can stop. That was a really bad choice in hindsight. <laughs> I didn't it's like plan it, that well. If you go to the next one, like you're done. Right. Um, right. Because what was I going to do? Stop when I got to the finale? Exactly. I mean, you, <laughs> those last like three, forget it. You can't. Yeah. You cannot stop. Yeah. So. Uh, okay. Cool. So anyway. time for our gauntlet. Okay, I'm ready. I All think. Right. 
tell us why do you love 12 monkeys um god that's like i love it because it like just if you really boil down my or my like reasoning it's just a really good show like it's it's so well crafted it's so well written it's so like well thought through it's like well cast well acted like every aspect of it is just like so well done and then you know it's got like the whole serious subject matter like the like thoughtful subject matter and then like you know these like quippy goofy things it's like all these things that i love kind of just like mashed together into one delightful little four season encapsulation of like perfect storytelling really i mean i have that is over and cannot let you down (laughs) (laughs) right right exactly like it's (laughs) you know i had i had assurances that it was going to be worth it and i definitely needed to do it so that was you know comforting um oops who's your favorite character uh jennifer Gwynn. yes so uh like coming in a close second would be deacon but jennifer is hands down my favorite of yeah respect i was gonna say of all time (laughs) but like you know buffy summers so sorry (laughs) i mean she's like way up there though let's right like definitely top three maybe top two and one of the cool things is in her own way she could fit into like any show that you're writing (laughs) (laughs) but why but why tell us why you love jennifer and then Deacon. Uh, I mean, <laughs> um, honestly, Jennifer, for a lot of the same reasons I love the show, like, she's just such an amazing, like, multi-level contradiction of things character. Like, she's she's so smart and so funny and, like, so kind of hurt but also determined. And, like, she is honestly the most, like, empathetic and caring person on the show, which, like doesn't always come out but like i mean there is like a moment in this episode that like just really kind of like drove that home for me about how like jennifer's default is just like loving people you know like she just cares so much about everything at all times and i just i love that about her i love i love people who care about stuff and she's also can be so naive though in the sense of like she doesn't know who not to love right yeah that's like she's not you know she's not calculated about it she doesn't like she doesn't direct it it's not like value-based or like you know like whether or not people deserve it she just loves you know and like yeah that does like mess her up a lot and that's kind of the cause of that's like at the root of what gets her into trouble a lot of times but at the same time she doesn't let that like stop her you know like she knows that but she's like it's not like i want to be a different person right which is pretty remarkable sorry go ahead no that was yeah it's pretty remarkable just given the fact that so for so much of her life, love was withheld, mm-hmm. you know, like to yeah. come out on the other side of that. That's not necessarily always what would happen, you know, not at all. And yeah, I feel like that's, you know, she knows and I, I, I guess I'll talk about this like a little bit later, but she like she knows what it's like to be like thrown away or forgotten or discarded or like, you know, just not loved. And her her response to that is just like, well, I'm going to love everyone as hard as I can. And yeah, that's just really admirable. Do you have a favorite moment? <sighs> um, in the finale, when Jennifer, young Jennifer, or I can't remember now which direction it went, but I think old Jennifer cued young Jennifer uh, to play the song. Yes. <laughs> that was, I, oh my God, I was incoherent. I was like screaming and sobbing. It was like, I remember my husband looked over, he was like, people are going to think that you're being murdered. Can you calm down? The windows are open. 
both versions of her, like, saving everybody. It's the best. <laughs> and, like, queuing up my other favorite character. So, like, it was just, it was, that was a moment. That was, I think, yeah, that was definitely the most satisfying moment of the show, I think, for me. For that sure. was that was the moment that we were just sitting there while you were at your work desk, fucking miserable after that four a.m. binge. So we're like, if she can just get home and watch that, it will all be okay. Oh, it was so worth it. It was so worth it. Like it was, and that's you know going back to what I love about the show, the fact that they can like set up emotional stakes like that and then like follow through with a payoff that like totally lives up. It's just. That's, you know, that's a thing that I think a lot of shows attempt to do, but very few shows do, like, so much on that level. And this show just, I mean, the finale was hands down the, um, well, I guess I'm bleeding into the next question because my favorite episode is the finale. Um, and it's... That's I'm so to, rare for a show. So right. Rare. That's I was describing it, I think after I watched it, I described it as, like, the technical perfection of Breaking Bad. Because, like... Regardless of how you feel about that show, which my feelings about it have, like, very much um, evolved, I think. But mm-hmm. it was, like, really flawlessly put together. Um, the emotional... What was it? Oh, the emotional satisfaction and, like, depth uh, of The Leftovers. Mm-hmm. And then just, like, the love letter sign-off to the characters and fans of Parks and Rec. Wow! Holy like, that shit. was, they just, they nailed, like, kind of all three aspects of, like, the best series finales that, yeah. like, you know, I know of. Oh my, that's like the best, yes. Oh, that's like the best analysis I've ever heard of, like, what, yeah, absolutely. And you know what's funny? Someone actually said to me, do you think the Game of Thrones finale is going to live up to the 12 Monkeys finale? And I was like, man, I don't know. It's going to be a really high bar. And 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 that high bar it needs to meet 8 years worth of investment. Right. <laughs> right? Like so I mean that's <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that's I mean honestly, like I, I I don't think it's going to because I don't really expect I mean I didn't expect the 12 monkeys to hit on that level, you know? Like I don't expect any show to. That was like some next level like, "Oh my god, you guys like you nailed it. Like you nailed it harder than I think any show ever has before." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. You think Cassie stopped the countdown? <laughs> yes! Oh my god. Wait, I can't believe this is a debate. This like drives me crazy. In the year of our Lord 2019, like some of y'all are out here with this nihilistic like no, we're all in a timeless hell bullshit. Like what? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think that's our open. <laughs> I say no further questions, Your Honor, but I actually have like four more questions. For you. <laughs> uh, I think we know the answer to this now, but would you stop the countdown? Yes. I mean, actually, you know what? I shouldn't even say it like that because, like, honestly, it did make me stop and think for a minute. Like, would I? Like, I'm kind of chicken shit. Maybe I would go for I, you know, because I guess. Choosing to stop the countdown is, like, choosing to believe that, you know, like, stuff is going, like, I'm trying to think how to say this. It's, like, it's choosing to have faith, basically, that, like, things will get better, that things are going to keep going, that, like, giving it the option to do it, where, like, stopping the countdown, um, or not stopping the countdown is kind of, like, I feel like the sort of, not easier choice, but, like, the choice that, like, you know, it's, it's, it's done there. It's, you like, it. That's the end of that. 
Whereas the other one, you're signing up for like a long haul, keep going. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't know. I'm really lazy. Like, (laughs) 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 but no, yeah, I I would stop the countdown. That's just nonsense. Favorite travel era for costumes alone? 80s. Oh, God, I love how Jennifer dressed all of them. Um, But also, shout out to Legacy, the cowboy episode, because, you know, Mm -hmm. that was just awesome. But yeah, I love how uh, Jennifer dressed him in the 80s, and I love that she put put Cole in Back to the Future. (laughs) Has the show made you cry? (laughs) When did the show make you cry? (laughs) No, seriously. Have you stopped crying? (laughs) The I like I I cried I think the entire finale like I think I like managed to like slow it down to a trickle just to like start going over I was like doubled over convulsing at one point it was just so I was very overwhelmed it was very very overwhelmed so all right tell us about your uh, hyena burger t-shirt theory <laughs> oh man. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, hold on. I'm rolling up my sleeves. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it is the episode title. It's it's the right time to ask, I think. <laughs> well, I like that calling it a theory makes it sound like more official besides like me just like screaming like, "No, you don't understand." Jennifer and Deacon were absolutely hooking up the whole time, just behind, well, not the whole time, but like behind the scenes where you couldn't see. Um, so this theory was born of the fact that, you know, I know, I, I don't think I actually noticed in the episode, but I noticed in, uh, you know, gift sets that it really appears that Jennifer and Deacon are wearing the same hyena burger t-shirt in yeah. a couple of episodes. So naturally my brain is like, well, obviously they were boning because like <laughs> I ship it. And also that's kind of where my brain goes like all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, what was it? So I was looking, I was watching, I think 306 maybe it's like, you know, back when um, Jennifer and Deacon are both like, uh, living in 2044 with Team Splinter, and Deacon goes to her room to like talk to her about something. Um, it's when, it's when he does the "Does Jones know you have a paradox and a half shell line?" Always cracks me up. But he just like really casually and directly, without hesitating, walks straight into her room, and I was like, "Wow, that's a really familiar and intimate thing." Like. <laughs> obviously he's been there before and feels pretty comfortable about it like that speaks to a pretty like deep level relationship so clearly they were boning <laughs> we and we uh, we don't and so you're saying because we asked mr stashwick that question for you. yeah i heard what he said <laughs> i heard those lies exactly <laughs> he can't fool me <laughs> and, we, and now and there's fic for that <laughs> there's fic there's actually not very much oh my god coming from like other fandoms and coming going into the jennifer deacon tag on uh archive of her own was like what i know there was a good 20 i read a good 2044 fic there was, was um i think actually you know what shout out to uh dawn of the dusk she, that's like their name on every platform but mm-hmm. they're like the uh deacon jennifer shipper fandom but they have a really good pick on there they also did a video i think i've reblogged like their entire jennifer and deacon tag uh <laughs> so you're right though this show needs more fic it really does yeah i mean you have it's like the most think about every 
every like time travel tangent mm-hmm. that provides an opportunity for other people not to know that characters are having sex, right? Like right. it's ridiculous. <laughs> like it's like a, the entire show is like a fanfic prompt, right? Like, right? Like yeah. Okay, right. So tonight we're talking about what actually happened on the show <laughs> in this episode called Hyena. <laughs> That I well, think maybe we should start now. <laughs> just what? Well, I because I wonder. Just bouncing back to the fic thing for one, like last. <laughs> no, nice no. Like, actually, I had I had like a not like they were boning thought on this, but I want I like sometimes I think that like like with a show like Twelve Monkeys, it does such a good job, kind of like like I feel like so much fic is born out of those like loose ends that people mm-hmm. like see or like those in between moments or like just hitting like emotional beats or like quiet character moments that maybe like a show that's more focused on like plotting and pacing and things like that like you know just doesn't deliver on because you know when you have like a finite budget and time frame you got to prioritize but and I wonder if part of the reason that 12 monkey I mean aside from the fact that you know I think it's a smaller fandom than like some juggernaut shows, but 12 Monkeys does such a great job of like following up on all of those loose ends. It's you true. Know? Like there are so many, like they just, they were so dedicated to like answering questions and giving the characters and the relationships. There's mo- those moments. I feel like, you know, there are some shows where there's just like so much stuff that is just never followed up on. It's like, <laughs> what did that mean? Like, I don't know. So, you know, that like it explodes fic because there's like all these different you know, dangling pieces that you can run with. And then there's 12 monkeys where they're like, no, we got you. Don't worry. The fact that you got your cigarette question answered, like really speaks to the level of detail that we're looking right? at here. Like, right. I salute you guys. That was uh, nicely done. Today we're talking about Hyena. Uh, the story is by Chris Monfett. The teleplay is by uh, Monfett and Sean Tretta. It's directed by Bill Eagles, who if you look at him on IMDb, you're like, oh my god, you directed Battlestar Galactica, Fringe, and 12 Monkeys, right? Like, (laughs) holy shit. (laughs) It's like a lot of really good TV. Um, That's a good resume. (laughs) Random plug for how much I love Fringe. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I have to watch that. I watched the first season and I really liked it, but then I'm not sure why I just didn't watch the rest of it. It's just going to make you like throw shit that John Noble was never even nominated for an Emmy. Oh, well, that's a familiar frustration, but. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, Michelle Geller was robbed. All right. Anyway. <laughs> right. It's a long list. Buffy, The Leftovers, The Wire. Oh, it's just the like, why? Right. Okay. okay. Sorry. Yeah. We will get sidetracked. Um, <laughs> this show. <laughs> Sorry. Right. <laughs> All right. No, I mean, why isn't like this show should have been nominated for writing? Right. You know, like uh, the cinematography. Emmys don't respect genre. They really don't. You'd think they would at this point, but alas. Unless it's on HBO. Otherwise, they don't. Well, right. Okay. So, um, the fun thing also, because we're going to be talking about it, is that Chris Monfett also wrote Legacy. And in some ways, this episode is almost like a two parter with Legacy when it comes to the Elliot Jones story. Um, so I've noticed that like a lot. They have writers like, whether in the next episode it's Oliver Grigsby and he writes the Agent Gale in Berlin caper and then he writes after that like closes the loop on that in season four. Um, they do a lot of pairings like that. So maybe that goes to what we were talking about was just like before the sh- before we started recording, like 
writers keeping track of character beats (laughs) from season to season, you know? Um, Okay, so before we jumped into the actual episode, I want to talk a little bit about just some big picture themes to keep in mind as we're going through. Um, The first is this episode, in a lot of different ways, is playing with this idea of truth and perception and outright deception um, in in different ways. Like, there's a lot of characters having really uncomfortable, (laughs) speaking really uncomfortable (laughs) truths out loud, Um, whether it's Cassie and Ramsey with the lie detector. Oh, God, um, I love that so much. It's my favorite. I know, I know. I just want to, like, type lie detector trope five exclamation points because I love it so much. Um, um, and Or you've got Hannah and Jones and Hannah being taught to be very direct. Um, and they're saying a lot of quite frank things for one of their first conversations ever. Um, or even Cole and Jennifer, when they're pretending to have a fight – they end up saying things that, like, those came from somewhere, <laughs> right? So, um, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and then we had, like, the more, like, textual, like, Jennifer Shell game and yeah. talking about not watching the hands. And, you know, in this episode, that obviously applies to the pallid man and his, like, trap within the trap that he lays for Jennifer and Cole, but also – I think it also is kind of also like when you go back and watch it, it was as much to the audience, you know, like the things that we focused on, whether like you were thinking the mission should be this or listening to characters debate or thinking it's about the plague, right? Like I can imagine people like if you go back and read stuff and people in season two that were like writing reviews were like, well, what about the plague, right? And it's like, well, you're not paying attention (laughs) to the hands, right? (laughs) <laughs> so, so, and then, you know, obviously you've got the keeper, um, who's got to be one of the fucking coolest one episode characters to oh. just pop up. Like, I want, like, a graphic novel about the keeper. <laughs> he looks like he's dressed for a game of paintball. Can I please just, like, throw that out there? No, I actually, yes. somewhere, somewhere in my notes, I literally have, like, okay, so what is up with 2044 style? Because you've got the keeper in, like, his full, like, leather cloak and, like, shin guards and everything. And then there's Ramsey, who's in, like, a, like, a J. Crew pea coat and jeans. Like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> J. Crew Peacoat. Um, <laughs> but the keeper, the keeper treats knowledge and truth like as a commodity, right? Like that's why mm-hmm. Hannah, he trades in it. And then you have the hyenas having this whole debate with Cole because they want to arm the public with the truth. So whatever storyline in whatever year or location is going on, whether it is big picture plot or individual character relationships it's all playing with this idea of like truth perception lying all like in all different permutations Mm -hmm. um the other big one is found family versus real family um or just kind of like i know (laughs) we're all such like suckers for found family but i think this one is really interesting examination because you've got obviously the big one is Hannah meeting her birth mother when she's yeah. been raised by another woman. And that very sometimes real world uh, when somebody meets a parent as an adult 
or a sibling as an adult, and and you're supposed to have you have this biological connection, but that doesn't mean you necessarily have a relationship. Or even if you know your family, you don't get to pick your family, and sometimes that doesn't necessarily ensure that you're going to get along, right? Yeah. And then and then you've got Cassie and Ramsey's conflict over found family, right? Like Cole is both their person, and so it's just playing with this like. All different ways about how we're stuck with people we didn't pick, um, or when we feel betrayed by someone we that we actually did affirmatively pick and found family. Um, and Jennifer talks about family, whether it's like with the hyenas. I mean, there's just all different. You've got daughters in 2044, you've got um Team Splinter, and you've got the hyenas back in 2016, and there's all these different like versions of it, and there's all these different like fault lines. And it's all like, do you guys get what I like what I'm saying? At like, I felt like I just kept watching different family fights unfold throughout yeah, the whole episode. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then obviously, I think this is like a big, and I'm sure I'm just gonna say big picture, and I'm just gonna let the two of you go. This is like a pivotal stop along Jennifer's leadership journey. Oh, absolutely, yeah. This is like, <laughs> I mean, well, oh, in God. the sense that Jennifer has. No idea what she's doing. So she just wants to save everybody, right? <laughs> yeah, she wants to save people and like literally let them out of cages. But she has she's no idea what she's doing after that. And also, unfortunately, she has released a good number of people that, unlike the situation she may have been in, might not belong on the streets. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think any plan that involves discount grenades probably has some cracks in its foundation. (laughs) Right. I mean, also, I feel like her leadership journey is like learning about the difference between being a peer and being a leader. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sister versus mother. Um, And also withholding information. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. when she's with the hyenas, there she's it's like a group, it's like a, a team meeting, right? Like, okay, right. what's the plan next? It's very different than the way Jennifer acts in 2044. Yeah. So, you know, 2044 Jennifer, for many, many very, very important reasons, is a huge gatekeeper of information and truth. Mm-hmm. So, and she is not <laughs> in 2016. Um, well, she no. hasn't brushed her hair for over 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> We got into that last episode. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, and then the other things, we'll get into this, but um, this episode, when you view it on rewatch, is like this bridge between all of its callbacks and kind of revisiting or allowing Jennifer to try and reclaim the story of how we were first introduced to her at J.D. Peoples. Um, and also just with the way that plays out with Cole and the Pallid Man, but it also is like a two-parter with Legacy and the Elliot Jones story. So actually, like if you I I recommend going and watching the Elliot Jones scenes in Legacy because it's like the way this episode ends with the whole conversation with the Pallid Man with Titan, if you watch Legacy after that, it's it's amazing. Like the way it all it's like they gave us the teaser both with the personal relationships with Hannah and Jones and with this like what is Titan what happened after he had that meeting and it's just really really it's a, it's really cool yeah. <laughs> when you watch it together 
Well, and I was trying to remember, do we see Elliot, like, at all? Because Legacy isn't until early season four, right? Like, do we see him at all in season three? I don't think so. Do you remember that beat? No, I don't think so. That's okay. I didn't didn't think so, because I remember the first time I watched when you showed up in four, it was like, oh my god, that, oh my god, we're going that far back? Yeah. He's yeah. Thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I was like, I completely forgot about him. That was like a long time ago. Even though if you think about it, it is so very clear in this episode that he's the one that builds it. And you like never think about it again. Right. It's just, you know, well, because, you know, I mean, there are a couple other things that are going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> right. But I mean, it's it's kind of, I mean, the way this episode ends, it leaves you wondering like he seems a little unhinged, mm-hmm. right? And you don't really know how much he is in on it. And and Legacy answers all of those questions and more, like both by things that jo- raised by what Joan says um, and like tells you the whole story. And that like when Megan goes wine, um, goes wine. I always want to like put that into like a last name when I read it. <laughs> you guys ever have it? <laughs> when she was on, when she called in for our listener feedback on um, Lullaby, she was talking about how skilled they are at withholding things mm-hmm. and that the end of this episode we're not going to get an answer about what happened until season four <laughs> which is crazy <laughs> so and just speaking to that like well-crafted aspect like the follow-through of this show constantly just constantly blows me away i can't think of like really I mean, maybe, like, if I try if I try really hard, I could probably, like, nitpick some stuff. But, like, anything that's, like, really, like, relevant, like, just always comes back. Yeah. Um, all right, you guys. Did you guys have any other big picture stuff, like, that you thought about as you were watching? Um, no, you were, you were pretty thorough. All right, so 2044. We've got Whitley and Adler and everyone freaking out about a grown baby man being turned into a baby. <laughs> yeah, that was some imagery. And all I have to say is like, okay, Red Forest truthers, this is what it fucking looks like. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah, I, is I, this I... your God? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, even when you're looking at it, I think of like Jennifer doing the Ghostbusters speech. You know, like <laughs> dogs and cats living together. Like that's what it looks like. You look at the pictures, you're like, what the fuck? A man was turned into a baby. Yeah, like nothing about that looks fun or comfortable. No. Um, I love how they're showing the like kind of team discomfort with how fucked up it is, and it's kind of sowing the seeds for like the future insubordination that we're gonna get from Adler and Whitley. Mm-hmm. Um And then we've got the article on the wall that goes all the way back to episode 102, The Hell Jar, which is, we talked on that podcast, a reference to Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar. So I think what I was struck by this scene, particularly when it like, you know, you see the Hell Jar article and you're thinking of, of 102 and Cole being sent to talk to Jennifer, the fact, like what really struck me was that Cole sees how fucked up things are and he's like i have to go talk to jennifer i just have such a boner for people being like we need jennifer like yeah you do (laughs) yeah i mean it makes sense he just came from lullaby where she guided him through like this right like groundhog Mm -hmm. day and listening to her like changed Mm -hmm. 
Uh, right? And so, like, it makes sense. I'm just struck by, like, when you're thinking of things, when you're being reminded, like we were at the beginning of the episode of Jennifer and 102. Mm-hmm. Cole being like, we need to talk to Jennifer. Like, mm-hmm. they are like, this is... This is the beginning. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's... Um- because, yeah, this is – I feel like this is the very start of, like, seeing Jennifer as an actual uh, team member. Like, you mentioned earlier, like, how this kind of reboots Jennifer. Like, this is almost like, yeah, the Jennifer reboot. This is sort of her – the character's official introduction into the show Um, between this and then getting to, I think it's 302, where she kind of officially joins the team. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is this is the like kind of fetal development stages of Jennifer as an official member of Team Splinter. Yeah, oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> right, like, and it's funny because it's definitely Cole is going to have some frustrations when he talks to her, but he right. trusts. <laughs> which yeah, are oh yeah, they're not they're not there yet, <laughs> right? But he he sees that all of these people, including Jones, don't have an answer, and he's like, then who we need to go to is Jennifer, and. Mm-hmm. That is a big deal, yep. I think. Um, then we've got Cole and Ramsey. Um, I l- love that this scene, we, the three of us often have complaints on other shows that people die <laughs> and then nobody ever <laughs> talk, talk, has conversation about it or like acknowledges it. And I like that they have Cole trying to reach out and acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. But it also, the way that it goes down also shows that things are not quite, they're not, like, there's an awkwardness between them. It's very awkward, Mm -hmm. yeah. You know? Like, just the fact that he's saying, like, I'm sorry I didn't get to talk to you sooner about it. Like, and of course, the circumstances were crazy, right? Like, Cole was shot. They were going to blow up the whole mission. But also, like... That was his, that was his boy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I was going to say his son, and then I was like, wait, let me do this right. It's a rite of passage for all of our guests. <laughs> some reason when, when Cole was, like, responding to him, and he's like, you know, I'm sorry I never said anything to you about, like, and then he's like, what happened to Sam? I thought for a second, I'm like, he forgot his name. <laughs> oh, no. Well, um, um, well, and also, jumping back to, like, you know, this being the kind of beginning of, gen- like, it's just, it's an interesting so you've got Cole being awkward and like people not really knowing how to deal with Ramsey and his grief. And then fast forward to, I think it's like 303, like again, Jennifer, like officially joining Team Splinter. And like one of the first things she does is she has that interaction with Ramsey where she went, like she clearly searched the facility and found like the leftover toys and brings them to him. And is like, you know, I, I, I'm sorry about your son. I feel like no one has said that to you yet. Mm-hmm. And it was just like this like beat of like, I was like, she just loves everyone. Like even this random person that she doesn't even really know. <laughs> I know, right? And then Ramsey's got that killer line. You got to be a little bit crazy to be a human around here. Oh, right. I know. Um, okay. So no, I no, will no, like, I know. bring literally everything back to, oh, and then this ties into that one time that Jennifer did this other thing. This is a huge – bring it. It's a huge – this is why – other than our all-girl chaos squad in this episode, this is why you're here or this episode. It's a huge Jennifer episode. Um, what I – so if you if we can put ourselves for a second in Cole's headspace, you just went out on a limb and, like, fucking swung for the fences, man, being like, let's give this a go to Cassie, right? She shuts you down. And then your best friend comes to you and tells you all the stuff that she told him and not you. 
He's like, she never, like, so when, when Ramsey's bringing up Titan and everything that, that Cassie told him about it, because he wants Cole to ask Jennifer, he says it, like, twice, like, because he says it to Ramsey, he'll say it to Cassie, like, well, she never mentioned it to me, right? And he's <laughs> like, he's pissed that she didn't tell him. And I love that it's this really subtle, like, you know, it's subtle in this scene, but the alliances are shifting. Mm-hmm. From her perspective, though, what's interesting is when you think about it in the real world, sometimes it's a lot easier to tell something to somebody when you don't give a shit what they're going to think about you. True. Right. She also did it to save her life because he was pointing a gun. (laughs) Ramsey left that that part out. Yeah. That 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 doesn't reflect so well on him. (laughs) I was about to murder her. She brought up this one thing. You know, no we're biggie. just having a casual spot of almost murder. <laughs> it's like tea on this show. Yeah. <laughs> they have that too. Shit, whatever. It usually pre- like prefaces the murder. <laughs> um, I did think performance-wise, it was like Ramsey is like physically, he is so angry. Like, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's the form his grief has taken now. And it's like f- it's almost like, like a spasm. Yeah, he's like vibrating like just a little bit. Like he's just so like kind of like locked down and like, you know, repressed the like the the physicality of like how um how Kirk's carrying himself like that whole episode is just really uh evocative. Mhm. Yeah. He's a really like I know sometimes people struggle with Ramsey's choices, but like his performance mm-hmm. is like, you know, is always like it's so intense. <laughs> And mm-hmm. when when it needs like that, it's definitely communicating like that. That is all this guy is thinking about right now. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's go to old Jennifer and Cole. I'm gonna say this, and then I want I want to hear what you guys have to think have to say about this. Otter Eyes is walking in the tent. Jennifer has all of the memories of all of the things that they've done together, and she knows that she's gonna die in very soon. Is it next episode or the? Sorry, I'm just trying to like orient myself. It's in been two, a in two episodes. Two but episodes. The okay, next, okay. the next time we see her in 2044 right. is in Resurrection. Yeah. Right. Okay. Sorry. Um, because I've had some feels before when you watch when you rewatch these scenes with old Jennifer and we, and we're now in her point of view because we know all that she knows. The feels when she's sitting down to talk to Cole, right? And it's her old friend, the way he looked all those years ago and all of the experiences that they've had and all the things that she can't tell him. But she also knows that she's going to die soon. <laughs> it's wild in Jennifer's head. <laughs> yeah, but just like the like the amount of stuff that she has to contain at all times. And I'm just like bouncing because she also knows like, you know, he's going back and where she's at, like sh- she's looking back at, you know, her egg self and knowing that she's about to send him back, like, right when she's in the beginning of, like, figuring out, you know, the daughters and, like, what her entire life has come to be. And then also, how oh, that's gonna go. Right. She has to, she has to let them die twice. Ah, uh, right. And like, she, and she's coaching him. To coach her. Right. Yeah. Co- coach her. And, and this whole thing is about the truth and when do you tell the truth mm-hmm. and who pays the price, right? And she's sending him back. Like, it, it, yeah, it already happened, but she could 
she she could I'm sure like she could say something right, right? but but she can't well in like a weird sort of metaphorical way she's kind of like almost giving birth to herself in this moment like she's arming Cole with what she needs to hear to become the person that can sit across the table from Cole and arm him with what she needs to hear <laughs> and it just becomes this like in like feedback loop that. <laughs> right it's like the ouroboros of mentorship right but it also i mean it also just speaks to how strong jennifer is that she's like looking at basically both ends of her timeline like she is like staring both ends of her timeline Mm -hmm. in the eye like right there in that moment yeah and just like you know without even blinking just does what needs to be done I feel like this is one of the most confusing interactions that there is with old jennifer even though, I mean, it comes to make sense, like, what she's doing throughout this whole scene is kind of just, like, it was disorienting for me as well. Yeah, yeah. I think the first time you're watching it, you're like, what the fuck? Did she just bite him? <laughs> I was like, right? she's just flirting. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you've got the you've yeah. got the personal, but, like, we'll dig into, let's dig into the cups game in a minute, but you yeah. do, like, let's stick with the personal for a second. Like, you've got, he's like, you're getting off on this. And she's like, <laughs> well, there's a time when you could have found out, buddy. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, right? <laughs> but that's it. Okay, so. <laughs> you, you guys, you may have read it one way. I, I read it another way, though, is in the sense of, like, I didn't think she was actually flirting. I thought she was just using that as a distraction. Yeah. You know, yes. like, see Same. how you'll react to this weirdo. And then she, he's, like, thrown off. And she's like, Anna bit you. Like, now what? <laughs> well, and I think. I, I mean, it, yeah. I, there's. But, yeah, absolutely. I read it that way, too. But, again, like, their fight. Later on in the episode, there's a kernel of truth there, right? Like, there wasn't... She did kiss him in a hotel room a few episodes ago. Yeah, no, she did try and make it happen. Well, and then also... I mean, well, first off, obviously, old Jennifer is over it because she then later met the love of her life, Theodore Deacon, but... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in a way, that's true, though. Even I know! (laughs) Even in a serious way. But, um, no, I... And to what you were saying, I do, I mean, that's like unarguably a repeated pattern with Jennifer, especially old Jennifer, like over the course of, and young Jennifer too, but over the course of the series, it's like she learns how to uh, weaponize her mental state or like in what people expect of her. Mm. She like turns her craziness into a tool in her arsenal. And so she can do things like, you know, a weird flirty, like, you know, bite misdirect sort of thing. Cause, and there's like, you know, a cup game right there too. She's like, she's got, uh, she's got, she's got Cole, like, you know, following what she's like, you know, literally saying to him and not like staying on that through line and watching the hands, if you will. Um, right, right. She's just like kind of getting him through the conversation and so that he goes off and does what he needs to. Right, she's a, as a good she, as like a good teacher. She gives him two concrete examples <laughs> with both the cups game and by flirting and then biting that he is right. not paying attention to the hands, right. <laughs> and then he still doesn't pay attention. So come on, Cole, keep up. He never learns before he leaps first. I mean, he just, it always comes around later. Right. Yeah. All right. So the cups game is so fun to watch now because as we mentioned like at the top of the pod it's as much to Cole and what's going to happen in this episode as it is to us because she's saying like as she's moving the cups which the the things she's saying are primaries plagues 
paradoxes, right? And she says the distractions are Cassie, Ramsey, Katerina, her daughter, my daughter, right? And so, you know, all the people that are like actively yelling at you right now that you pay attention to them. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Like, but it's so fun because you're like, as an audience member, that's what's distracting us too, right? Like, it's the personal stuff. It's the, oh my God, like, now Jones has her daughter back, or what happened between Cassie and Cole, or what happened with the plague, right? And they're, Mm -hmm. like, telling us what to pay. They're telling us as much as they're telling Cole what we should be paying attention to. Um, And it's also, like, kind of a when you go back and rewatch it. Because I think, you know, for the next couple episodes, I think the debate between Cole and Jones versus Ramsey and Cassie about do you either cut the leader off and kill the witness or do you save the primaries? I think it's totally a legitimate debate. But old, but old Jennifer is the one, as Cole says at the end of the scene, who's got 30 years on them. And she's telling us and Cole what Cassie and Ramsey want to do is not the path you need to be following. Right. <laughs> They're not the protagonist here. <laughs> so of course in the next episode we go ahead and follow that path <laughs> <laughs> right and then we're going to do it again and go to titan right so he asks her about titan and we see what we now know is the vision of everybody being killed at titan in 212 and she gives him the warning that we'll hear again from lillian in the season finale that titan leads only to death um, they all try and, the- and tell you the whole show, all the primaries, they spell it out for you. <laughs> um, although it kind of breaks my brain how what loops the primaries are aware of. Do you know what I mean? Because oh, yeah. There, there's there's a timeline where they all died, but there's also a timeline where they didn't. Yeah. Has anyone ever put together a chart of like who knows what when? Or is that just like an even more ambitious undertaking than the entire Word of the Witness poster. Yeah, I would think so. No, there are – no, people have. There are timelines on Reddit um, and I'm not sure if the Project Splinter website does. I know that when when Terry Metalis came on, he said that it's really hard to do given the time shifts. Right. But, but people definitely have attempted it. Yeah. But, but there's like, a difference though between a timeline and, and who what knows someone what. knows. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because then you have the primaries who just, like, throw a wrench in the whole thing. Right. Like, what does the alpha primary know? (laughs) Right? (laughs) What does he know at the – like, in season four? What's going on in his head? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Beep, when we finish this podcast in two years, you and I can then embark (laughs) on that project. (laughs) Homework. Homework. (laughs) Um, Okay. So then, like, I don't – guys, I don't know if I can get through this scene – this last part of this scene when Cole says you have 30 years on all of us and you know how this ends. <gasps> <laughs> That's weird because Meg has no feelings whatsoever. <laughs> and Jennifer says, a wise man once told me there are many endings, but the right one is the one you choose. And it's just like fucking feels it. Like how many different ways is that line now hit you? No. Oh. Well, <laughs> so when I was thinking, I started thinking about um, ultimately, like, getting towards the end of the show, like, the endings that all of the characters choose. Like, you know, starting with uh, Deacon, who chooses to die for the group. <laughs> chooses to die for the group. <laughs> um, 
so that they're able to get through that, you know, knowing what he knows and everything and then like how he'd choose to do it all again and just like bringing in that whole concept. And then um, Hannah, who chooses to, um, you know, go back and stay and have like the whole life with uh, with Cole's dad and then like chooses to leave them to make like just all the choices that they make that get them to their right endings like Ramsey who chooses to like you know help and then go back and die the way that he's supposed to and Cassandra who like chooses you know to go back like and then die back in season one which is a whole timeline that breaks my brain again <laughs> which is and then and then there's there's Cole who obviously like chooses that he's gonna like sacrifice and then uh Jones who chooses fuck that <laughs> because she's Jones and then like just thinking through how all of those choice and like Jennifer here who's choosing you know to like get herself started on this path that she knows is going to end in like you know two episodes or whatever and the life that she's had and everything that she's like loved and lost and just all of the choices that they make and how they're all so representative of uh, their individual characters and the arcs that they go on. Like Jennifer, who is at the end of her like long life and has chosen or who has learned, you know, what it means to be a leader and to like be responsible for these people and like what it means to be, you know, a mother of this like ragtag group of people. And that like, sometimes that means losing them like all over again. And, you know, sometimes that means like setting it up. So they lose her and like, she sets herself on and she, Oh, sorry. I just thought about how then she like also chooses to bring her like young self there to start all over again. And my, my brain breaks a lot when I start thinking through this show and like all of the loops that it makes <laughs> um or like going back to like you know jones choosing to basically say like fuck you to time which is like this epic culmination of her whole arc because she's been like so concerned with like causality and like respecting like you know like the choices that you make and how they affect time and then in the end she basically just like chooses to say like fuck it like you know we're gonna do what's right um and, because yeah. you know her great grandson told her to in a roundabout way. Whatever, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's fine. It's about family now, damn it! <laughs> and that's when I break the timeline. <laughs> that's why she broke it in the first place, right? Exactly. That's like her thing. Yeah, just right. uh, it all right. like that's another chart to make. Just kind of how all of their like loops open and close, and like the choices they make to uh, bring them full circle. No, I mean, that is such a tangent. No, but uh, no, I love it. No, you're right because the, I love the way you put that because you do have so many characters. I mean, did you mention Cole getting in the machine and like choosing alone? I kind of like skimmed over that one because, like, yeah, yeah that's like a whole other thing to unpack. You know, he like chooses to basically like I feel like he starts alone. And gains a family and, like, you know, like, learn, like, gains all of these, like, loved ones and people that are all around and then, like, chooses to give them up and be alone to, like, save them. Yeah. And gets them all back. Well, right. I mean, so I love the way you put that because actually I've never thought about sort of, like, all of the character arcs. Even if you think somebody was taken off the board, like Ramsey and Deacon, you learned later that there was they they had an affirmative choice right yeah. mm-hmm. like they actually Hannah took, Hannah did too. they took themselves off the board right hannah right hannah chooses to save cole and one minute more knowing it will result in death deacon chooses to like 
right? Like distract Olivia and knowing that he's going to get executed, right? And ra- like what you said with Ramsey. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring that up. No, it's okay. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, I've, I never thought about that, that like this show gives each character their choice to end on their terms mm-hmm. before it gives them like that new beginning. And I never really thought about it that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was just full of feels over, I mean, obviously we're going to get to the end of this episode where he's going to say those words back to her, but it also makes me now think of that final scene between Jennifer and Cole on the beach when he realizes he's alive and she repeats this line, the right ending is the one you choose. But sometimes uh, it's the one someone chooses for you. Right. Like, Jonesy. Right. <laughs> I mean, that line comes from that line that they're going to play with in that, like, unbelievably, like, emotional way comes from this episode. It's like its own layers of emotion, right? Because mm-hmm. it makes you think back to this, but then, ah, uh, right? And then also, of course, like, the... Even though we scream about it and we um, – but, you know, the ultimate ending of this series is left up to the audience to choose. No. So Okay. Come <laughs> <laughs> It's not. I don't even know. I mean, I, it's just not. I don't know why we have this conversation. Because we've – I mean, we've – listen, we have had a lot of thoughtful people come on this podcast who – have a different viewpoint. <laughs> so I'm just respecting their viewpoint. Yeah. Uh, long one. Completely. Exactly. <laughs> you're completely like have every right to be wrong. It's fine. <laughs> you're All entitled right. to your wrong opinion. I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> That's jump- the ending you choose. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So speaking of truth and lies. <laughs> Let's cut to Cole immediately opening up that scene with Ramsey and Cassie lying to them and tell and telling them that Jennifer didn't know anything about Titan. Can I just say that the whole little triangular arrangement with like Cole, Cassie, and Ramsey in this episode is like so childish. Like it's oh, like yeah. adorably ch- like in, they're in the midst of this like you know grown up life and death like shit and ever and they're just like having these like petty little like well you told him but not me so I'm gonna keep secrets and like <laughs> <laughs> he was my friend first. <laughs> it's like oh my grow up. <laughs> But man, they're human beings, right? Like we don't <laughs> put like a pack of kindergartners. I don't know. Like my kindergartner, I have a, I have an almost kindergartner, and a lot of times she's more mature than some adults. That's so, true. Yeah, no, I don't that know. Is true. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So you have obviously Cole being like, "Well, why didn't you? You sure? Like, why didn't you tell me?" <laughs> um, I love his line. He says, "You sure the witness didn't put this in your head to distract you?" It's the first time you've mentioned it to me. And you're like, it is correct. Well, yeah. (laughs) I don't think you take it well. (laughs) Like, the last time that they, the last time at least we saw them interact was her, like, shutting him down. And so, you know, like, it's not, it's all under the surface, but like, it's hella awkward. Like, uh, but also he's right, right? Like the witness putting Titan in her head is all to lure her there. Like he's right. It is a distraction. It's not like, it's not the mission. And by following it and like Cassie being in Titan, it will end up where she's like imprisoned. (laughs) So 
it's like he's correct. Um, but I think it's really interesting. Like, what do you guys make of? We had this Cassie like kind of opening up at the end of Lullaby and shutting it down. She is so shut down and and angry in this scene. Yeah. Well, I think Ramsey opened up something in her that mm-hmm. she was wanting to release. Mm-hmm. And Cole was kind of keeping that down. Also, she hasn't really told him anything about the vision stuff that she wasn't like in some way kind of forced to reveal. She doesn't want to talk to him about this. Yeah. Well, and also there's just, there's so much emotional, there's so much emotional baggage currently with like her and Cole and like everything that's going on with them and like, you know, what she wants, but like feels like she can and can't have. And then like, you know, the consequences of her like wanting him and how that kind of like blew up her life a little bit. And I feel like, yeah, going back to the choice thing, like, yeah, she is distracted. And I think that, you know, like she's a smart girl. I feel like a part of her like deep down does know that but she's like choosing to follow this because you know this is action this is easy this is like you know an a to b roadmap it's not like you know wandering through this like quagmire of like timelines and you know everything that's going on with like her and cole and you know here's ramsey who she kind of hates and that's like a simple and pure emotion who's like hey let's go on a vengeance mission and she's like vengeance is simple i can be mad i don't have to think we can just go and like shoot things Mm -hmm. yeah isn't there such a desire to like simplify this whole process and literally put a face to the enemy which to some degree this does Mm -hmm. you know like you're Mm -hmm. fighting time you're fighting a plague what the hell is that let's go like stab this guy (laughs) i get that right yeah i mean it is so when you step back though and you think about how this season opened it's crazy (laughs) the reversal that's happening right now right like this realignment um and yet it's the same it's the same debate Cole and Cassie have been having since the season opener, right? Mm-hmm. Kill someone or save someone. <laughs> right? Say like figure out what's going on to save this primary, which Jones explains at the top of the episode, or go kill the witness. And so it's different permutations of sort of that same mm-hmm. clash of outlooks as to how we're gonna handle this problem, but now we're like realigning who's on like Ramsey's now aligned with Cassie. Um, Which, just as a sidebar, I remember watching it for this first time was, like, a team-up that I was so into. (laughs) I love when they, like, mix up characters and, like, kind of throw a new dynamic at you. And I'm like, "Mm, this is like shaking up a bag of cats. Let's go with it. I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) And especially the fact that they didn't make them, like, gung-ho to go together. You know what I mean? Like, they still freaking hate each other. Right. It's so obvious. Oh, yeah. It's not like, sweet, we're determined and like going in the same direction. So, like, go team. They're like, oh, I fucking hate you. But if you have to be here, like, (laughs) get in the car, I guess. Like, there's, yeah. yeah. There's like, but also, here's your mask. They don't want anything to happen to you. (laughs) Uh, Right. He's still a dad, man. He's like, put your mask on. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, I feel like they both understand each other right now in a way that, like, no one else kind of gets where they're at. So there's like a kind of comforting and there's like a comforting familiarity about both of their like rage and grief and stuff. So even though they hate each other, like they're still the person that it's like almost the easiest to be around right now, which yeah. is a dynamic that I love. Yeah, because that commonality just overwhelms them. Mm hmm. Right. I, I Also, now that we're like in this back half of season two and you kind of look back at how they everybody got 
there I think one of the reasons why we end this show so invested in this found family is that they don't just like give it lip service <laughs> and have mm-hmm. scenes saying like we're a team, right? Like yeah. every every pairing gets their own mini mission this season. Yeah, that's true. Because even Deacon and Cole are going to get one in Resurrection when they're going to team up to face off against Cassie and Ramsey, right? Like over the insurrection when Cole like goes in to find him. So you have like everybody's gotten a different version of a road trip or like a side mission where they're pairing everyone up that you couldn't have imagined that they would have been paired up in those groupings at the beginning of the season. Right. Like the idea that like Deacon and Cole are going to be working together in Resurrection or that Cassie and Ramsey are working together in this episode, you would have watched 101, I mean, 201 and 202 and been like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Does not compute. Sounds fake, but okay. (laughs) Uh, um, I think there's kind of like, so Cassie raises this, this interesting point that Cole is going back to find the pallid man who he has not come face to face with since the night that his that the pallid man killed his father. Right. So it goes all the way back to Paradox. And I mean, it's sort of like an intro. I the way she frames that tells you a lot about the the like her frame of mind. And also, I think, Cole's character arc. Mm. Because for, like first, the fact that Cassie views Cole's motivation for why, you know, she's like, okay, you go back and you get your vengeance and then we'll just sit here and wait, f- wait for hours. That's the lens through which she's seeing the world, right? So like, oh, yeah, she, she's blinded. That's all she sees. So what? she, so she sees that as in, she thinks she's calling Cole out. Like, you think that you're not motivated by vengeance. You're like getting into that chair to run back to go face to face to find the guy that killed your father. Right. Right. And he looks I, so like confused almost. Like it's like, well, oh, huh. like right. I don't know. Maybe that's just like how I read it. But I like, did too. Yeah. I did too. Like had, to me, it's yeah. not on his radar. That's like not what he's thinking about. He's like, I'm actually on a mission, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, they do some later interesting callbacks, like with him beating mm-hmm. the pallid man reminds you just the way they filmed it of when he was beating Aaron Marker, right? Mm-hmm. Like earlier. But but I don't – I actually, like, I understand why that's the lens through which Cassie's viewing it. But I'm, I actually think it's, like, a signpost in his character development that he is not – I don't think he is motivated by that. I think he's actually able to put it to the side. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he's the one, like, you know, he's he's focused on the mission. Like, when the hyenas want to kill, like, the pallid man right away, he's like, no, we need – right? Like, we need him. And then you can do whatever you want with him, like, later. So, like – well, actually, also, you can do whatever you want. Like, he's still not even thinking like me. He's like, yeah, like you guys have him. I don't care. Right. Um, let's actually, why don't we jump and and close off the Cassie and Ramsey road trip? Yep. Does that make sure. sense? And then we'll take Hannah and Jones all together. Sure. Like, this episode skips around a lot. And I just think like for maybe discussion wise, it's better to kind of like stick with those two characters and then we can pull back. If yeah. that sounds good. Okay. So uncomfortable road trips fucking love them <laughs> my favorite <laughs> um that's you- thing, yeah and you, well you already mentioned but that's a thing this entire season there's like seven road trips right i mean i love the like the humor like the mileage they get out of the fact that these two people who are 
going on this like mini mission together or hate each other, right? Like, oh, you worried about, are you concerned for my safety? No, shotgun as she holds a shotgun, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, it's just the back and forth is so great. Um, but I mean, uh, you know, when they get out of the car and she doesn't wear her mask and she's like, you know, she's still in that mind space where she was ready to end it all in lullaby, right? She's like, well, maybe if I die, none of this would have happened, which is a really, really dark place for Cassie to be. It's also kind of the opposite, though. She's like empowered by that in a in a sense. It's just like when Jennifer found out she was, gonna, you know, what her death date was. You think so? Because at the I, I think I, so. I feel like she. I mean, I think it's both, but I think she was very much like, "Bitch, I can't die." Like whatever, Let's just keep going. <laughs> well, like, I, I I guess I looked at the mask. That's interesting. I and I see that. I see that. I guess you know she opens the episode. Not knowing how they're going to find the witness, and she's kind of still like, well, you know, maybe if I die now, none of this would have happened, and she's not putting the mask on. Once she gets that clue to hold on to in, uh, regarding East Berlin with dear life, at the end of the episode, she's taking the mask back from Ramsey, and she has like a renewed purpose. So I guess that's how I read the mask stuff, but I see I see what you're saying, too. Well, that's what I'm right? saying. I think it's both, because at, right now, I feel like she's just throwing caution to the wind. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. she can't prove that that means she's not going to die, but it's just like, whatever. Like, I don't care what happens to me. And obviously, we got here somehow, so I guess I'm fine. Yeah, that was kind of, I think, my take. Like, it was sort of like a kind of reckless, like, tempting yeah. fate. Like, let's see what's up with causality. <laughs> like, yeah. just really, like, Jones, poking the bear. Go ahead and kill me. I don't care. Like, yeah. have at it. Yeah. I don't know. If, yeah, I don't know if I'd go as, like, far to say as I believe that it's, like, a thought through death wish as much as a just like kind of rage and adrenaline fueled not give a fuck yeah got it um the conversation they have i think is really kind of like (laughs) (laughs) i love that they hate each other but the person that they have in common is cole and they are fucking annoyed at how hopeful and optimistic cole is (laughs) (laughs) right Cassie Cole believes time used to save us and Ramsey's like sounds like something Cole would say right like fucking not on team vengeance dude (laughs) it's like this like begrudging sort of like affection like you know (laughs) like both that they're mad at Cole like and his happy go lucky everything they're mad at each other that that's like the point that they like have to talk about it's just like nah it's cats in a bag (laughs) (laughs) right I mean it's true right like Cole with the exception of his kind of understandable spiral um at the beginning of season three when he finds out about Ethan he is like from season two on the consistent one with Jennifer who's on mission you know, like, yep. I mean, with Jones, too. But, like, let's focus on the big pa- – and, it, and it's, you know, the benefit, I think, in part of Jennifer's guidance and also his own, like, character development. But, like, I, I love that they're, like – it's, like, that thing that you like about somebody, but at this point, it annoys you about them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, exactly. you're always so fucking considerate. And, like, I just <laughs> – Just let me be mad. <laughs> Um, okay, so that brings us to the keeper. Oh, the keeper. Okay, thanks. So, yeah, go, 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 go ahead. From a logistics perspective, this was, I, I remember thinking about this when I first watched it. I was thinking about it when I was rewatching it. Like, 
what's his server setup? Like, he's talking about all of this, like, <laughs> data that he, like, you know, thought to go and collect. I'm like, okay, but you know how, like, I know that the internet, like, seem, like, because it's intangible, like, it seems like it's just, you know, you can load it onto a laptop or something, but, like, where's his, like, server stacks? What's his power? How does this work? Like, what, how... How does this work? <laughs> well, so he he said he got all of that information from the Pentagon. Right. But I was like, how? Did he, like, bring a flash drive? Or did he, like... <laughs> <laughs> That's why I want the graphic novel of right. the Keeper, <laughs> right. like, fucking Mad Max like, going around with a flash right. drive. <laughs> did he, like, back a semi-truck up and start, like, wheeling, like, servers out? Like, what did that look... <laughs> I just... I have so many questions. Like, he's a... Like, look at his outfit. He's clearly a dramatic host. So I could, like, see him having this, like... <laughs> whole elaborate plan where he like actually his like little observatory is on like this massive basement that's just like you know filled with uh data storage but i was just like you know he just like says it all casually like oh yeah and then i like swung by amazon in the pentagon and just like collected their data i was like oh really like going to a grocery store and picking up like an orange juice or something like (laughs) just like a couple errands (laughs) you just casually went and harvested the pentagons (laughs) also those two things are really far apart wait did he say amazon yeah he did I mean, I. But to be honest with you, Amazon and the Pentagon. To be on, to be at this, I bet I honestly, if you were able to get all of Amazon's information and all of the Pentagon's information, you'd be fucking like well set up, man. Well, here's my other thing. Right there. If he's so (laughs) smart, why didn't he just kill two birds with one stone and go straight to Google? very far away amazon like i'm here in dc you've got the pentagon and actually amazon's headquarters are going to be right down the road which Uh already happened this was in 2016 though yeah and it's in like what seattle or something it's literally like the opposite coast you guys i think we found our first loophole (laughs) (laughs) like what is this dude traveling but he had his own time machine i i i am going to just take it i'm just gonna like my head canon is that the sentient force of time knows that amazon is going to pick dc as its headquarters <laughs> and, and it's actually going to be for real next to the pentagon so let's just retcon it and it works or is it an alternate timeline like wait did tw- they never really got into alternates right they like everything mm-hmm. kind of stayed in the same and it just like reset or whatever yeah yes yeah but Maybe the people who um who did not have the injections like only remember the new ones. So maybe Amazon is uh, close to. So we just never got injections. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just think that this is you know this is only one episode and the only like kind of detour that we've taken into this post-apocalyptic world was the Atari episode with the West Seven. Mm-hmm. And I love this like world building because we, yes. we don't spend a lot of time in 2044 outside of the bunker. So I love the world building of this, like mm-hmm. kind of through him telling a shorthand story of like what happened when the world fell apart. Um, and like we'll get into what he talks about in terms of like knowledge and like what ha- like what do people think is important in a crisis and things like that. But like. I just thought the world building was really, really cool. And he's only mm-hmm. there for one episode. And I was like, man, like, what? what's the Keeper doing in the reset timeline? <laughs> it's, 
it's interesting looking at like the little bits of world building that we do get and like kind of how they're thinking about the future like you've got you know the whole west seven situation which is obviously like pretty hardcore and then you've got the keepers situation which again dramatic ho also very hardcore with his like crucifixion and like murdering people for white lies <laughs> and then you know you've got um i forget the name of it but the other village or not like the other little settlement that had the big battery that they needed um oh project spearhead yes thank you yeah um, and that, like, you know, seems civilized on the surface, but it turns out, like, they've got their own pack of, like, weirdness going on and, like, dude kind of, like, ruling his cult and refusing to move on. And then you've got Jennifer and the daughters who are apparently, like, they've got this rep for being this, like, scary, roving pack of, like, killer ladies, which, naturally, that's apparently Jennifer's thing. But then it turns out that they almost have, like, the most nurturing stable environment of like everyone (laughs) right and they're not allowed to go they're not allowed to trade with the keeper which should tell you something because they trade with the west seven interesting that's true right so like this is a bad motherfucker (laughs) jennifer's saying like you can trade with d i mean you know it's because she loves deacon but like (laughs) thank you it all comes Thank back you for to that. acknowledging their love. Um, <laughs> that, or, like, you know, she looks at the keeper and she's like, I refuse to acknowledge someone who's even more upfront batshit than I am. Although, although, you know what? Actually, I, I actually, because I think it's in, this gets into what Hannah and Jennifer talk about, but I think it's, I mean, Hannah and Jones, I think it's really interesting. And I wonder if it is in the interest of maintaining the timeline and keeping Hannah hidden and all of that stuff that she forbids, she teaches the daughters that technology is bad and she forbids them from going close to the keeper. Yeah, because what would, you know, she's like, we can't trade with him. What would you trade? (laughs) Meaning like what information do they need to get from him? They, like you said, it's like a potentially a causality issue. Right. What could they possibly? So by that logic, if they had tried to go to the Keeper, like, two episodes earlier before they reset the timeline with Hannah, would it be, like, a total, like, it turns out, oh, Jennifer and the Keeper were actually BFFs? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Well, unless that, that, I mean, Beep always is, like, reminding me that that, like, Hannah was always saved because that already happened. <laughs> Which makes okay, me head hurt. Yeah, I wait. My brain just broke again. <laughs> okay, so they pull up. They pull up to the house of truth. I love. Okay, you've got people who have we assume that lied before to him. So it's setting the stakes of like, <laughs> dude, if you guys don't admit you hate each other, you're gonna end up upside down crucified, right? Oh. It's setting the stakes. Oh. But like, what I what I love about it is. So it's an upside down crucifixion. It has the um, help me with the Latin. The Latin. Ti- do you say ti- titulus? What? So like that question is a- going to me. I have no idea. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do you know? I've taken Latin since high school, and I forget how to say it. Okay, so you know, like for example, when you look at like if you see like a crucif like a crucifix, and there's mm-hmm. like the right. So like in I looked it up just to like confirm that it was like general practice. So like that's like a fun Google crucifixion in ancient Rome. Um, so you had 
they would always mark like someday I'm just gonna like basically like list all of the things that I've Googled <laughs> because of this show preparing for the podcast. <laughs> Math add that to the list. So they in ancient Roman times, like the point of crucifixion was in part public humiliation and to serve as a warning to the public, right? Mm -hmm. Don't do what this person did. So Mm -hmm. part of that was posting why the person was crucified, what the crime was. So that is that practice, and that was called the titulus. Um, and that so that when Cassie, when they walk up and Cassie translate that the people that have been crucified upside down have it in Latin liar. That's a practice from ancient Rome. And I think it is fascinating, like that the keeper is the person that like preserved not necessarily Western civilization, but like civilization's knowledge. And yet he is using one of the most, bar- like, not what, but a barbaric, like, practice from civilization that, like, is, like, so venerated, right? Like, ancient Rome. And, like, right? Like, as a foundation of civilization. And he's using one of their most barbaric practices in the post-apocalypse, and it fits. <laughs> it's quite you know a statement I mean? on humanity. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, okay, so they go inside. You guys love his dramatic entrance. It's so ridiculous. Like, it's just, it's so ridiculous. It, why, like, what, <laughs> what is the point of his outfit? What is the point of just, I mean, I guess I understand the point of, Is you he know, not he, immune? Is he not oh, immune? Oh, that would make sense. So he wants to make sure before they enter? I that, keep forgetting that that's an issue. Right. Because he has that mask on. Yeah, okay, that actually makes I just thought I he just was thought doing that it for was the aesthetic. Like protection. Yeah, well, the actor, did you guys recognize the actor Christopher Hayerdahl from True Blood and like he's been I in a recognized lot of stuff. him but couldn't like con- like concretely yeah, I remember. I looked it I up though. Yeah, I didn't I never watched Stargate, but I assume uh, probably some listeners know him from Stargate, but I remember him from True Blood. Yeah, that was where um, I knew him from. Yeah, but who was he on True Blood? Um, he was, he was one of the, like, vampire bureaucrats. He was in the, um, one of the later seasons. So, like, after the show had gone completely off the rails and, like, nothing made sense and I wasn't really bothering to keep track of any of the details because it was better if, like, I just let all that go. Listen, no, I love True Blood so much, but that was like that show is just like it's glorious nonsense. And there becomes a certain point where you just have to be like, just like roll with it. Oh, it, yeah, it went so off the rails. Like, <laughs> and it was, there were barely any rails to start with. Right. <laughs> it's like, how did you find a more bananas place? <laughs> All right. So we've got the lie detector scene. And can um, I just can I, can yeah, I just say yeah. really quick like this is like going back to that thing about like maybe there isn't that much fic for twelve monkeys because the show like handles all of it like this is the most fanfic setup that I have ever seen just like blatantly presented it with like. S- like I don't want to tie to a chair. I don't want to say like such shoddy like setup because it's not that the setup is shoddy. It was just like it just it's like this one off that happens so fast. Like it's not like this is like a thing of the like it's like it's literally just shoehorned in there for this episode so this can happen so that you can have Cassie and Ramsey tied to chairs being forced to admit why they're mad at each other. I'm like that if that's not a fan fiction setup, I don't know what is. <laughs> 
the fan fiction also gives you awesomeness. Oh, yeah. No, I, I say that entirely in a positive way. Like, there is nothing <laughs> negative. It's it's more the wish fulfillment aspect, I think, is what makes me say that it's so fanfic-y. Like, it's so, like, pure kind of driven wish fulfillment like it's the most convoluted setup to get to that one specific like catharsis moment right like i mean it's so funny because it's like not only in some ways it's like it's not only wish fulfillment as a viewer right like you're watching these two people argue and they hate each other right Mm -hmm. it's not only wish fulfillment to get that like it's not quite car crash scene, but like a scene where like people have to actually fucking say what their problem is out loud, right? Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about this earlier, like the "what's your problem" scene, <laughs> and then yeah. people have to say it, right? But it's also like this kind of, I think, in some ways, like wish fulfillment in real life. Like, what if you actually had to like sit down with someone and fucking get into it, and you had to tell the truth, like? Well- Am I tied to the chair also, or is it just them? Because I like the scenario where it's just them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is not like a quid pro quo sort of thing. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think... (laughs) Oh, no. Beast, like, don't talk about being tied to a chair. We're not going back into feck. (laughs) You know who is tied to... No, okay. That's a different episode. All right, we're, we're, okay. we're going to like, okay. rate it okay. back in. I'm we're going to rate it back in. Okay, so... <laughs> I think somebody wrote a fic about the scene. But I should I hope so. <laughs> okay. If someone just, like, let this setup pass them by. <laughs> well, I, I mean, also, just, like, bringing it back to the show, I think of the next episode where they're going to be tied to a chair and being beat up by Mossad and and this like the bonding that happens now and then being on that mission together like Ramsey's gonna have a problem with Cassie getting beat up and I don't think it's just right because it's any random woman sitting next to him I think this is like a a, the most fucked up bonding moment ever absolutely (laughs) you know what I mean um and they're gonna give us that like mirror image of them being tied up and questioned again, but their emotional reaction to each other being hurt in one episode is going to be different. Well, this so. is like, this is the episode where they kind of both realize, like, I feel like this is where they kind of hit that, like, that epicenter of realization, like how much they have in common. And it's all like, you know, like, wow, you care about, like, Cole just as much like you know you care about Cole to the extent that I do that like you can be hurt by him choosing someone else in the same way I am like we're really like kind of two sides of the same coin here (laughs) um Mm -hmm. and it's like almost this like transitive property of caring like damn if like you love the person that I love as much as I do like there's this like sort of transference thing that where you like you almost it's like when people love the same stuff that you love it makes you like feel more kindly towards them like you almost you have this like innate goodwill or maybe goodwill is the wrong word, but like this innate, like sort of softening and empathy and like appreciation for people who care about the things you care about. Right. You know, like they're going to go from these kind of back and forth to in the next episode after they betray Cole, like Ramsey. (laughs) 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 Right. But Ramsey basically checking with Cassidy and being like, you got to shake this off like we did what we did. Right. And it's because he knows 
Because it's bothering him just as much. Right. It's like they come out of this with, like, this uh, understanding of each other that, like, you know, translates for future stuff. Like, they can kind of, like, figure out where, like, they don't have as much of a misunderstanding. They, like, know where each other's at because it's like, well, where am I at? Oh, that's probably where that person's at. Right. So... So again, digging into the scene, um, it's we're we're talking about sort of the music cue out of order, just from the way we're kind of going through the storyline. But you've got the same classical piece that gets played. I think it's four times in this episode. Yeah, um, it's Chopin's Nocturne, Opus Nine, Number Two. Um, but it's super familiar, and. Uh, there was a fun description of it being very calming and cool and detached. Mm -hmm. And I love how they use it repeatedly in like fucked up situations in this episode. Right. (laughs) Right. That's probably on a bunch of relaxation CDs, but instead you open the episode and Jennifer, like people getting murdered and JD people's right. And, and the, and the pallet man walking through a crime scene and you you hear that music. Right. Well, And then in the, I know we're going to talk about the hyenas like part early, but how like it starts with this, like, yeah, like really like sophisticated, like piano. And then it just sort of like goes dark and then like transitioned (laughs) into this, like kind of like raunchy, vampy sort of like you know the Jennifer music yeah I love the music cues in this episode because they do another one with like this uh kind of discordant accordion circus music in the hyenas that which is from just, the film yeah it's from okay the okay yeah it's yeah, been yeah, so that- long since I've seen the movie I like yeah it's so discordant and that is the um theme song from the film 12 monkeys oh, yeah i love it so they use the chopin they use it um when cole is beating up the pallid man in slow motion yep. they lose it here when cassie-, <laughs> cassie and ramsey are about to get like you know like they might get killed if they don't <laughs> pass this like and like crucified yeah. if they don't pass this <laughs> fucked up lie detector test. so they just and they use it in that scene with the pallid man and olivia where he like almost does like the mountain thing to her face (laughs) later on. So anyway, I think it's really like it keeps repeating here. I love that he's playing it on like a tape player. (laughs) Right? Like it's like all of these servers and it's like all these different pieces and he's got this really outdated way of playing music. Right? It matches his his old school printer. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Like a dot matrix. Yeah. Amazing. (laughs) So, all right. So the keeper explains um, what he did. It's a, it's it's a. I lo- I like this monologue. Um, mm-hmm. No one cares about knowledge. Um, that they burned the books, right? Like for heat. And so it's just kind of interesting what happens when you have to knowledge when you have a fall of civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love. <laughs> yeah, mean, yeah. Because what what good does it do you? Yeah. Yeah, it's a little guy in your MFA, but, like, also a fair point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's funny because Colonel Foster and Jones had a much more lofty view that things like Shakespeare outlive, will will be carried. Like, they were having a conversation in season one about how art – outlives mankind right and like not if you burn it right and, right so right and this point. is like right and so like this is a really interesting answer to that it's like not if people are fucking burning shakespeare yeah. <laughs> right like it's not um and then i think it's interesting given sort of like the red forest conversation that the show is having the whole time about how mankind gave knowledge digital immortality mm-hmm 
Um, and then, but then it's like, he's so like esoteric. And then you're like, yeah, but you crucify people who lie to you about mm-hmm. shit that is not your business. <laughs> he lives in an observatory by himself. What else is he going to do? I think that's, <laughs> I mean, look that's at the stars. Beautiful. Look at the stars. Beep. No, that's what I would do. No. <laughs> it always comes down to beep being like, we should just, they should just murder people. And I'm like, no, don't murder people. Well, I mean, you know, sometimes it's the most expedite. No. <laughs> I'm not saying they should. I'm just saying I get it. (laughs) What else are you going to do? I think that they filmed that in a not look at the. uh, I think they filmed that in a real observatory, by the way. Didn't they? Didn't somebody mention that, Beep? That it was real? Um, But then he ties it to like both thematically and kind of practically to the debate that Vanessa is going to be having with Cole about not telling people the truth about the plague. Because mm-hmm. he says people died because of liars. They told us there was no need to panic. They told us they're working on a cure. I mean, I think that's fascinating that Cassie is one of the people that was on TV telling people that they were working on a cure at the CDC, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't know that. <laughs> but yeah, so... Yeah, because he only stole ones and zeros and not video. <laughs> <laughs> right, th- thank God Jones... He should remember her. In theory, I just obviously he doesn't know about time travel, but mm-hmm. he should like recognize her. Thank God Jones brought back what is what is the news channel ENN that's <laughs> consistently on the show. Okay, so I love that he like honestly like who the fuck does this guy think he is <laughs> that he has the title presumptuous and he's questioning them and then he's like. Why do you hate this woman and she you? And now that's what their life depends on? Oh, and my that, God. <laughs> see, and there's that, like, there's that kind of, like, wish fulfillment-y fanfic. Because, like, of all the things, like, so clearly they're from an area that he doesn't know much about. Because, you know, Ramsey, who lives in this timeline, has never heard of the Keepers. So, like, you know, here's this, whole, like, okay, collector of knowledge. Here's this whole list of, like, relevant things you could ask about, like... Where are mm-hmm. you from? What's it like over there? Like, what's, you know? <laughs> and instead he's like, why do you hate each other? I'm like, you are a messy bench who lives for drama. <laughs> I love it. But like, damn. <laughs> You're right. He's so bored. He's like, all right, let's get into it. <laughs> um. So then, you know, he, you know, she, Cassie gives the answer that she's been yelling. It's She's repeating what she's been yelling at Ramsey about all the time, but she says it, like, actually more directly. Like, I think he's selfish, right? Like, he chose his son over billions of people, and he's selfish. And then the keeper's like, nope. <laughs> Liar. Lie, lie detector says, ah. <laughs> try again. <laughs> and then it's- Cassie didn't get shocked, though, which I guess is nice. That's true. Yeah, he was he was nicer than the the guy who questions them in the next episode. Um, no, I meant he like he shocked Ramsey, but he didn't shock her. She lied. Right. Right. Oh, that's true. Yeah. He's so he's a gentleman. Well, <laughs> that's what I meant. So, Cad, then you've got that this scene, and I love like the looks they give, right? And like the Cassie being like, "Fine, I'm just." Oh, I know. Fucking it's so, say it. It's, it's so, so good. Patool- or patulant, like, I don't want 
Madonna. <laughs> What's that, that gift from American Horror Story that like I love using as a reaction? Um, oh, where she Emma Roberts Emma like Robbins. stamping her foot like no, yes. oh, no. <laughs> That's what this was. So she says, "I hate him because someone I cared about, who I sacrificed everything for, chose him over me." And then I love I love Kirk Acevedo. He's like looking down, and then he does like the dramatic look up. Same, and you're like, oh, right. And I love it because it's true for both of them. From you know, perspectives for- from their points of view, right? Like back in season one when they were arguing over which timeline to save, like the present or to restore the past. Cole was totally driven by the fact that Cassie had just died at the CDC and he was choosing in part, right? Like he said in the last episode, he's been fighting for her. He chose that over Ramsey's son. Um, But she's also right that he chose Ramsey over her in the season one finale, right? Like Mm -hmm. not not quite – not quite the, the same. It's not like he cho- – right? But like he went against what she wanted to do because of Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just such a deliciously fucked up moment. Yeah. <laughs> I love it so much. And jumping one step – just like that initial lie that she tries to tell, I feel like that's such a like meta commentary on like – well, I mean, that's just such, like, a human thing, you know? Like, you have this, like, petty sort of, like, really personal kind of thing that you, like, dress up in these, like, lofty excuses and everything because it makes it, like, sound more relevant and important and, like, something that you feel like you have a right beyond your own, like, petty because you feel that way reason for feeling like it. It's, like, people take that stuff and, you know, weaponize it in a way to, like, get people on their sides or whatever. Like, Cassie feels justified in hating Ramsey for this reason, and it's, like, something that, like, she feels like she can get other people on board with, you know, because it's, like, a bigger picture thing. But when you really, like, strip it all away, I mean, I'm sure she, like, cares about that, but, like, ultimately what she gives a fuck about is that, you know, Cole picked Ramsey when, you know, the situation presented itself. It's really... And Amanda plays it really well because you can even tell by the end, like when she goes to say, you know, the one, like she's stumbling through it. She knows it's bullshit. Because yes, she, yes, she realized, yeah. I think, in that moment, like, oh, that's what I did too. You know? So mm-hmm. she's like, oh, this excuse didn't work. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. I tried, whatever. Yeah. Um, it's a really, it's uh, what, who would have thought that they would have ended up here, right? And I love it because, and you're right, Meg, Ma- it, it is so human. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like if you could just keep that in mind anytime you're like going through Twitter, and oh, there's God. like, That's right? That's literally like, what I was picturing when I was. Right? Like, right. anytime there's like, well, you know, whether it's real events or whether <laughs> fandom. fandom, right? Whether it's politics <laughs> and you're like, some, sometimes it's principle, but sometimes you're like dressing up what you're comfortable with mm-hmm. or not comfortable with right in different things or like it's mm-hmm. fandom and really really what it comes down to is like you just didn't like that movie or you just don't like it when those two people smash their faces together but you want to find like a a reason that sounds better than just mm-hmm. i don't like them yeah yeah totally uh, yeah and that's it, that says a lot i feel like about what we feel like we like the value we place on like what we feel just for the sake of feeling it versus, you know, what we feel entitled to feel. I don't know. That's a whole separate conversation. Meaning that saying I feel a certain way because I feel that way isn't isn't considered well, like, it's valid. Not, yeah, it's it's yeah. not good enough for Cassie to say like I hate him because it hurt he hurt me. Like he indirectly hurt me, you know? Is she mm-hmm. has to say like I hate him because of like this legitimate reason. 
Um, like she doesn't feel entitled to be able to say that it comes down to like ultimately because her feelings got hurt. It has to be bigger than her. Right. So, um, so we have like, he hands them, he prints that out on that amazing printer. Like, I wonder how hard it was to find a printer that still functions. <laughs> so like, <laughs> add that to like the that. list of questions. <laughs> <laughs> So we see, um, you know, a lot of characters have been asking about Titan. We get one Titan clue. Um, we don't know that it's a clue that they're going to plant themselves. <laughs> and it's like a loop. Um, but it, it's interesting because there's a lot of weaving together, setting things up for Fatherland. Because in another scene in the ep- episode, we're going to have the Pallid Man and Olivia discussing Father. Um, and... What I kind of took away at the end when the Keeper is warning them that it's the lies that are going to fuck up what they're trying to do, that's ex- like the next episode, it is lying and betraying and like drugging Cole. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> right. It's so bad. Right. And so they leave the House of Truth. And the next thing they're going to do is lie and betray the person that they both just admitted is like their person. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, Man. also bringing it back. um, titan appearing in the redacted document like in a way it's like they because they caused that to appear they sort of lied to time they're they're lying to themselves like by through that document Hmm. interesting right yeah because yeah i mean that's kind of like a really weird extrapolation but that document is a lie that they inadvertently created so yeah in a way yeah it's not yeah (laughs) they think it's one thing and it's really not right yeah um okay so did you guys have anything else about cassie and ramsey um i don't think so just that you know i love them it's a good team up they were they had good like they had good like watching them they had good acting chemistry they bounced off each other really nicely all right hannah and jones the thing that kind of struck me is that we have been hearing about Hannah since the beginning of season one. Thought she was dead. Now she's an adult. And this is the first conversation she's ever going to have with Jones. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? I guess uh, it was funny because I had like had this picture in my head of like a little kid because, you know, like you always see the baby blanket as like the talisman and everything. So it just like had me thinking of like a little kid. So I'm picturing like a toddler with like blonde curls and la la la. And then like, this like smoking hot post-apocalyptic wasteland warrior queen shows up. And I was like, okay, let me like rapidly readjust. <laughs> That's what Jones had to do. <laughs> right? <laughs> so just another layer of it being like that real. But you're like, God, I didn't think Hannah would be hot. I know. I'm like, oh, I'm so inappropriately attracted to Jones's daughter. <laughs> Uh, that's that's a lot to work through when you've been picturing her as a little girl. I get right, that. Like just total one eighty there. <laughs> um. Oh my gosh. So okay. So the thing that the thing that is such a gut punch about it though is she's coming to return the blanket. <laughs> and the mother says it has some sentimental value. Dot 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 to you. <laughs> Such a knife in the heart. And the thing is, is that like, 
I mean, obviously, we're not quite in Jones's shoes, but like that blanket has been ev- like the symbol of Ooh. Hannah for the audience for like a season and a half. And now she- it's like, yeah, but it actually doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm like a 28 year old woman. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. and. Right. And and that's coming off of just having watched that blanket on her dead body as a child in the last episode. Dark. Oh, <laughs> right. Like, anyway, so oh. it is, I felt like such a gut punch because we know how much Jones has treasured it. Right. And it's so, it's a gut punch, but it is so realistic. Mm-hmm. Right. From Hannah's perspective, like, that's not even her name. It doesn't mean anything to her, even though it means everything. It's all Jones had of her. You want to get a little a little more like twist the knife? One of the things that struck me when Hannah comes in is, you know, Jones is over uh, over by the machine smoking one of her like billion cigarettes, as she does all the time. And there's that beat where she sees Hannah and like kind of like stutters a little and immediately like throws the cigarette down and stubs it out. It was such like a like a mom caught smoking, like a mom caught doing something bad, like kind of thing. Like it was, it was such like, it struck me rewatching this because it was like such a human kind of fumbly gesture from this version of Jones that we like, haven't real like, this is still Jones with a lot of her armor on. We haven't seen like the more like kind of broken down Jones of like later seasons yet. So this was just such like a, like, sharply human little moment where she's like oh i've got to look good in front of my you know like i don't want to be smoking in front of my daughter and then you know she's hands the blanket back like i don't care about this yeah oh i didn't you know i did not catch that at all that's a good touch so it's so small like it's just like this like really like it just like it jumped out at me because like that's not like a jones that i'm used to seeing right yeah no that's that's such a good detail (laughs) right Right. And those are the little details that this show, like, works at. Like, there's this little, like, split-second beat with Jennifer uh, in the hyenas stuff that, like, struck me kind of, like, you know, that same, like, sort of standout thing. And this show is just, like, built on these little things that, like, it's they just add up to, like, really round out and humanize the picture. Yeah. Um, the uh, You know what the other twist is? Oh, no. <laughs> is... They just want to like, they're like, you, do you feel bad about the fact that she's returning it? How about we let you know for the first time that the Hannah that stitched on it was stitched there by Jones's father? (laughs) Who's, who's the, who's the person you saw in Paradox telling her it's the heart that sustains her, which was the advice that led her to have her. But, but Hannah, fine, give her the fucking blanket back. (laughs) (laughs) It only has sentimental value to some of us. It's fine. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I had totally forgotten that detail. I'm like, oh fuck! You're giving me that adorable actor that was in season one feels now. God, like, I know he was uh, so cute. They have such cute dad, like the like some of the dads that flown in and out on this show. I mean, mm-hmm. not like you know Jennifer's, but um, Cole's, I guess. So two ja- dads that I was thinking of. <laughs> Whitley's dad. Whitley's dad. Yes, that's right. That was heartbreaking. Yeah, there's a lot of good dads. There's also, you're right, not good dads. Some not great dads. Deacon's <laughs> dad's not great. Right. Jennifer's dad, not great. Yeah, not yeah. great. I mean, you know, it's Hannah's dad, out. debatable. <laughs> <laughs> I have a soft spot for Elliot Jones, but all right. <laughs> I'm not, that's why I said debatable. 
debatable because I, I jury's out for me. All right. So I okay. We're gonna get to him. We're gonna all right. So the the thing before we dive into sort of like um their conversation, I think lesser shows wouldn't have handled this. What is in actuality a very – it's two strangers meeting each other mm-hmm. who feel this d- differing – like pressures for different reasons, right? And all these expectations, like, right? This is what – this is – even though it's not in the form of what she expected, this is all that Jones has worked for and wanted for, like, decades. And <laughs> Hannah, like, she walks sh- – her her mother, Jennifer, told her that she was brought on the back of a golden swan. Which, just point of order, leave it to Jennifer to be like, the stork isn't good enough. Let's, like, dress this up even more. Right, right. And I went, of course I went, Beep is going to laugh, I went down a rabbit hole of golden swan stories, and I didn't quite find anything that I thought. There's, there's a lot, it's like a recurring fable, like, mm-hmm. in both... European and Indian, um, mm-hmm. like folk, like um, what's the right word? Like children's stories, but I, I, I don't know. If there's a mm-hmm. listener that knows a Thai, I didn't like. I didn't. You're right. I think she's just like upgrading from the stork. Yeah, the, <laughs> the things that I saw were all very negative as far as the moral they were attempting to. to right, like the go- the goose yeah. that laid the golden egg or the golden feathers. Right, yeah. Um, but- so Jennifer's just like, let's guild this bitch. <laughs> But think about think about Hannah, who's raised in the daughters. Jennifer is this calm, sage, like quirky, quirky but wise, mm-hmm. right woman yeah. who protects you and has created this like matriarchy in the middle of the post-apocalypse. Right, not easy to do. Mm-hmm. And you have been raised to be suspicious of and fear technology you probably a lot of people in the world have a lot of anger toward understandably science right because the virus i don't know if it's like known that it i don't know do people understand that it was like engineered by by man or not i don't know but like you feel at minimum feel like science failed you right like because seven billion people died um when this takes place like zombie i feel like yeah, a zombie and plague canon is fairly well established, so people probably jump to science. Yeah. But, like, she also has – we will find out in later episodes – she heard those tales of Dr. Grimm. So she has heard about the stories that have circulated about this crazy Dr. Frankenstein that experimented on people and body parts came back. And now she finds out Jennifer's that, – that her mother's alive – and it's Dr. Grimm. And she walks in and she sees that time machine and she has to, like, deal with the burden that it was all for her. Mm-hmm. Just like Sam later, you know, when um, – Right. Or even early. I mean, he's already made that point, like, not to put that weight on him. Yeah. I did not ask for this. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, and she clearly – and she will for – this season and the next season, she hates that machine. She hates what Jones is doing. Um, you know, she asks her basically like, so you built this machine to cheat death? Like, I liked the swan story better. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, on some levels, it's all that personal. Another, on another level, it struck me like there are fairy, there are real life fairy tales that parents tell their kids like all the time. Mm-hmm. 
And then it's those moments when you grow up and you realize like what the real story was or you discover something that you didn't know about your parents just because like that's part of becoming an adult. So there's a lot that I like – related to, even if it's like, in addition to that, I'm sure there's people listening that have had like that real world experience of like, all of a sudden you have someone who you find out as family (laughs) and you don't know them. They're a stranger and you're supposed to have a connection, but, but they're a stranger, (laughs) you know? Like, so I just think this show handles that really like authentically. It feels really authentic. Yeah. They do a really good job of kind of balancing because there are just so many facets to that situation. Like Jones is like hope and tentative optimism. And then like, you know, Hannah's like uh, hesitance, like, you know, disgust even. And just like there are just so many things going on in just that short little exchange. And they like so hats off to the writers for like capturing the scenario and then hats off to the actors for like pulling off like all the 17,000 emotions at the same time. Because I feel like, you know, even though Hannah does have that um, kind of fuck you about her, she's still like because we see her later like being really harsh with people. So she is still, I feel like, to some degree, taking care with with Jones's feelings Mm-hmm. Whether it's because she doesn't want to, like, piss off the boogeyman or, like, because, you know, she's trying to be gentle yeah, because she's her mom. But yeah, I although – Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, uh, to your point about um, about how she's, like, kind of letting go of this, like, fairy tale that of where she came from in her head. In a way, she's still holding on to a, a, a fictional version because I feel like she swapped out – the fairy tale for the boogeyman, but in a way, neither one, like, that's just as inaccurate as mm-hmm. the fairy tale. Like, she's still not seeing Jones as a person, and that's something that kind of we get to watch unfold. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I mean, I, there's just, how many times on other shows have you watched the long-lost, right, sister, mm-hmm. child, parent, mm-hmm. <laughs> who comes back from the dead, right? Right. This just feels, this just felt really authentic. Right, because, like, a lot of – it's so easy to, like, go to, like, the really dramatic, like, we found each other or, like, you know, the opposite direction to the, like, melodramatic, like, drama and angst and – You're not my dad! Right. (laughs) (laughs) And they sort of managed to, like – you know, they have elements of both of those in there, but they managed to, like, kind of – they, like, took the – they made the choice to, like, kind of do the restrained, like, awkward, halting – real life version of that versus like I feel like the other two options are the more like dramatically viable like what you would expect from like a dramatic television show um and so just making the choice to do that like real human like this is how it goes aspect yeah. is just it was it was it was a it was a really good choice yeah so we like getting into the they're staring at the machine or Hannah's seeing this mach- the machine and I love we start you know it's natural like so who's who's my dad <laughs> right like <laughs> so you have <laughs> you didn't fuck us one right <laughs> Okay, so 
beep, you gotta reel us back in. Um, okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you've got Elliot Jones. And uh, what is so great when you're rewatching this episode is what you don't know when you're hearing Jones talk about him is that we're gonna see him at the end of this episode, (laughs) right? Um, so you have this for the first time. Because Jones really closed has closed off consistently conversation about her hus- her ex husband, whether it was with her dad in season one, or when Cole and Ramsey were asking about him, um, or even when Eklund was kind of like, "Would you marry?" Like she's just this is the first time we're starting to get the portrait of Elliot Jones from Katarina's pers- I mean, from her perspective. So she says what what he was about was self preservation and ambition, which is keying up the kind of ruined and raving Elliot Jones that we're going to see at the end of the episode, but is also not, we will find out in Legacy, which I'll get to, is not the full story. (laughs) But I love her. He built this machine. I made it work. (laughs) It's, oh, like you're such a great, like... That's right, like STEM lady. Like it's such a fist pump. Right? It's such like a patented, like casual Jones arrogance too. Right, Ex- absolutely. It's uh, it's arrogance that I am here for. Right, exactly. No, she's got style. It's just <laughs> it would have just been a pile of parts without me. Right, you've got Elliot just at the end, like putting his name up with like. Tesla and yeah. Ben Franklin, right? Yeah. And like, and she's like, yeah, well, I'm the one who fucking made it work. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then you have this like comment from Hannah that's one of those lines that you don't know if that's what they intended, but now hits you like a Mack truck, which is science killed the world. Now your machine is going to finish it. <laughs> and you're like, true, but not true. <laughs> I- I would say people, but. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, you've got the emotional part of it, Mm -hmm. right? Like Jones's discipline, her life's work, Mm -hmm. her long lost daughter is standing there and is like disgusted by it. Mm -hmm. But you've also got, we now know that all of the problems in the world were were caused by that machine. But you're going to need that machine. (laughs) True. But it's not going to finish it. You're going to need that machine to fix it. Yeah. (laughs) Right? So it's like true, Close loop, cause and effect, chicken and egg. I don't know what the keeper would do with that. Answer. (laughs) (laughs) Like, not true. This show will break anyone's brain. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine if the keeper, like, had the writers (laughs) in the chair and be like... (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) All right. So if we can go to when Hannah comes back to talk to her. And I love, if we could just talk about Adler, the C-3PO. I love him so much. So much. And I love how this episode, like he's always had this very quiet, dignified performance, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes in the midst of insanity right? right like my favorite thing is adler around jennifer goines and being like oh fuck she's back right like- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's everyone's response to her in the beginning like ah. <laughs> but this episode of the next episode i feel like really gives him a chance to shine because we find out that he lost a child too and 
we saw a little bit of his frustration at the beginning of the episode, but this is kind of like this show fleshes out. Like I remember when Aaron beep, remember when Aaron was on the podcast and she was talking about how like the show fleshes out even its like supporting characters. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's like all along Adler was there and we as the audience have been so focused on Jones losing her child. And he was there with the same like grief mm-hmm. hole in his heart motivation for everything he was doing. We just didn't know it. Oh. <sighs> so there walks in Hannah, which is like the walking reminder that Jones has gotten what he hasn't. And it's just like, it's like, right? Like three looks, two lines, but oh, it's just, anyway, sorry. I have a lot of Adler feels. <laughs> so, um, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, and it's crazy that you have that amount of feels like that were like that came from a like a throwaway line of dialogue. Like that line of dialogue wasn't even the point of the scene. It was just like, you know, said and then they like move toward like that, like that point about how the show breathing life into like even its side characters and then like how they're able to do it with just like this single like all of a sudden this like entire interior space to this character has opened up with just like what was that uh five words yeah yeah i know that's a really good point yeah i mean he's gonna expand upon it in the next episode it's a great teaser and it's it's building right like Another show would have just had Adler disagreeing in the conference room and then mm-hmm. he and then he betrays Jones's mission choice, right? Mm-hmm. But they're giving an emotional component to why he is struggling right now. Mm-hmm. And so when he betrays her, which I never could have imagined, right? Like mm-hmm. it makes sense, right? Cuz it's like like we were saying before, on one level, it's because he disagrees with the way she's prioritized things. He thinks that they can do both miss- missions. On the, on another level, he's reeling from like he he's been working for a decade with her, and she got her daughter back, and he didn't get his son back. So yeah, I know Adler feels okay. Um, so I like it's a gut punch for me as a mom to watch Hannah call. Jennifer mother to Jones. Yeah. Mm. Like mm. that must have hurt. <laughs> right. Mm. Um, I think Jones is amazingly it like there's nothing, and I'm not saying there's anything like, of course Hannah did. That's the woman that raised her, right? Yeah, like, yeah. but from Joe, like that would have felt like a punch, like somebody just punched Jones in the stomach. And she totally gives Hannah that space. And I think kind of like is amazingly patient. Not not that like she do you get what I'm saying? Like I'm talking about like from Jones's perspective. It has nothing to do with like a, Hannah, of course, is acting the way you would if you were Hannah. Mm-hmm. But if you were Jones and you have been like wishing and hoping for this and you remember this person being your daughter and how you used to sing lullabies to her and she's calling somebody else mother, that's gotta hurt. Yeah. And it's uh, it show yeah it shows a like it just it's another one of those like little things that illustrates so much about Jones's character. Yes, that self control. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then also just the empathy and understand like putting herself like being able to recognize that like you know to Hannah Jennifer is mother, but right. that doesn't mean that you know and like the the patience to 
kind of be able to be okay with that and like still keep going. Like, you know, it's, it's more important to her to have a relationship than to have, uh, like immediate gratification. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I like just in keeping with that truth theme that we talked about at the beginning, Hannah says most people aren't accustomed to directness, but I think, I think because Hannah is so direct, and honest, even if it was kind of brutal in that first scene, it, it's it's why they're able to connect and kind of like open up to each other. I think even though there's still going to be awkwardness, but like I think that directness cut through something because then mm-hmm. like she comes back to her and and by kind of extending that like olive branch and acknowledging that she was direct, like that's what opens up the conversation and Joe starts sharing things that mm-hmm. like we've never heard her talk yeah. to anybody else, right? Um, So <laughs> Hannah's name, the, the name that Jennifer gave Hannah is Zeit, which is German for time. <laughs> and she never told her that. Mother is not without her sense of humor. Right. She's never know what her I mean <laughs> I love Jennifer so much. Well, I, I love it because I think it's also like in su- Jennifer's honoring her her biological mother in that way. Mm-hmm. Right, even though she never told her the meaning and the story, and that Jennifer knows that time is the one who brought Hannah back. Mm -hmm. There's so much, right? It's like honoring Jones and her life's work, but also the reason why Hannah's there, and it's in her mother's like native tongue. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my gosh, but told her none of it. Like, do you think she was looking at everybody else? It's like, why am I Zeit? (laughs) In all fairness, we don't know what anyone else's name is. That's true. That is true. <laughs> All right. So Joan starts to open up about Elliot. And what is sort of what I had forgotten until I watched Legacy is just like this, the end scene in this episode between the pallid man and Elliot Jones sets up the Titan origin story that we're not going to know till Legacy. The photograph that Jones gives Hannah is like this linchpin, both emotionally and for plot reasons in Legacy. So that photograph we will see again at the end of the episode. But the reason why it's important is when when the four of them go to Montana in Legacy and they walk into the saloon, the reason why Hannah knows who is playing the piano, who's playing Oingo Boingo <laughs> on the piano, is because of that photograph. Nobody else has seen what Elliot Jones looks like. Nobody else has ever met Elliot Jones. God, that's true. So she rec- – and they end the episode after he's died with her pinning that photograph to the bulletin board. Oh. Right? So it's so great, right? Because it's like – it's a linchpin for why they're able to figure out that it's him and why they're able to then bring him back to the facility where he talks to Jones and you figure out the whole backstory and then he's able to help them and get the plans to tighten. And none of that would have happened if if Hannah didn't recognize him from the photograph from this conversation, which she has kept with her this whole time. And to take it even further back, none of that would have happened if Jones hadn't, you know, been able to open like be patient and open up and kind of handle because i just 
Because now I'm spinning because this is like, you know, like you said, this is a side of Jones that we haven't seen before. So like there is an element to like Jones allowing herself to be this person. And it would be so much easier to like stay guarded. You know, this like Hannah's kind of like slapping, you know, slapping down every point of connection. It would be so easy to let, but Jones just keeps trying. And that, and here's to, and then to bring it one step further, the fact that Hannah will recognize him and then send him back, send him forward to Jones in 2044 is where they're going to have their like reconciling conversation where they talk about like what happened between them right mm-hmm. and 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 she's going to get to say even though she doesn't realize it she's going to get to say goodbye to him before he dies and have that reconciliation and and so it's like her opening up and talking about it now and sharing that with her daughter is then going to lead to her daughter bringing him back to her so they're able to reconcile like and i don't mean it's reconcile close loop. i know like <laughs> it is beautiful Right? It's like people opening up and sharing things and it leads to more and more and more of that. Mm-hmm. And that's the emotional level in addition to the very important like mm-hmm. plot machinations, right? Which ties into everything we were talking about with Cassie and Ramsey, like, you know, them being in a position like forced to kind of open up and be truthful with like, obviously in that situation, it wasn't exactly voluntary, but you know, that leads to like a greater understanding for each other. The other thing, I just want to give props to whoever was in charge of continuity and costuming because Ugh. Elliot Jones in that photograph is wearing this um, like very kind of dark contemporary like band and it's not on his ring finger. I forget what finger it's on. He's wearing it in the photograph. He's wearing it at the end of this scene and he's wearing it in Legacy. And that's like – such a small detail. <laughs> I'm just like, whoever's job it was, like, I would just like to tip my hat to you because I noticed it and that's awesome. Right? Like, it's, you know, almost, it's, <laughs> it's almost like the people who work on this show also like watch it. <laughs> so weird. Who does that? Oh, that is, that is, that is snark directed at other television shows, not. <laughs> <laughs> Which which will remain nameless, but <laughs> we all agree on it. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm being good. <laughs> okay, so, um, so what? This is what she tells Hannah. He only gave me two things: this machine and you. And you are the only thing I loved him for. And I think I'm gonna call bullshit on Jones. <laughs> Because <laughs> people call, I love when Jones get call, gets called on her bullshit because normally it's her kind of calling everyone else on bullshit. So right, <laughs> it's true. Carry on. They will. I mean, they've got this like devastating line that goes to what she just said, where Elliot will tell her it took decades to build time travel and six days to destroy like their relationship. And, like, they will both admit, he's like, you know, I loved you in my own way. And she's like, and and I in mine. And so, like, obviously that is coming from a very understandable place of hurt that Mm -hmm. is still with Jones, right? Which I think is a sign of maybe how deep those feelings went, right? Like, but – you know, what he will, like, we'll get, we'll get to sort of the Elliot Jones piece, but like, what drove him away and, and, and turned him into like this kind of like 
even more obsessing about his passion is because his greatest dream was to have a family with Jones. Like the day that Jones, he says the day Jones told him that he was pregnant, he said he felt like he won the Nobel Prize, right? So it's this whole like tragic misunderstanding because then Hannah, then, then, then Jones goes on to have Hannah and you're like, oh my God. God, right? Like your marriage broke up because you didn't want to have her. And then after it broke up, you had her. And you guys are both going to be inventing in two different eras, in two different places, the two warring time machines of this series. (laughs) Like, it's fucking epically tragic and fucked up. (laughs) So. Oh, God, their story is so much. It's a lot. question about them. Yeah. Did he? Like, when did he leave her? He left um, after she told him. I think she told him that she was going to have an abortion. And and she didn't want to have a family. Like, that's when they're okay. talking in legacy. He, she tells him, I'm pregnant, but I am not going to be. Gotcha. And he was like, all I wanted was a family with you, right? Like, he's like, it's the greatest day of my life when I found out that, and, that Jones is pregnant with Hannah. And see, he says, then I lost, you know, the child, you. And so then all I had left was pouring it into my research, which I think really informs, you know, the mania, the way they portray his kind of, and again, not in a clinical sense, but like his frantic, like, I could have been this, I could have been that. It's set up to be all about ego. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying it's not, right? Like, of course, anyone, whether it's Elliot or Katerina, like these are scientists that have enormous ego. They're fucking with time, right? Like you have to have a certain ubris to do that, right? And belief in yourself. It's like anybody who runs for president, (laughs) right? Like there's a certain amount of ego that's like involved with that. So, but he is so desperate because all he had left was that time machine. And now that research has been pulled and now he has nothing. And so when you watch Legacy and you go back and watch these scenes, I have so many Elliot Jones feelings. <laughs> it's like and, – and just the two of them. And they are another epic, tragic, like, love story in the show that has such significance, right? Like, they create the two tools of these two opposing armies, either against time or for time. So that is my, like, Elliot Jones, I watch Legacy and I have feelings rant. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't get a chance to watch that. And I forgot as far as, like you said, the story of when exactly when he left. So what I took from this episode incorrectly was that him being taken away to Titan was kind of what sealed the deal that they never got back together. Well, I think it's certainly he spends 10 years. He says 10 years working on Titan. So... But that's not why they broke up. Right, right, right. But it's certainly, he's basically, like, it's clear his dynamic with the pallid man when we see in Legacy, the way the pallid man, like, threatens him, right? Like, it's clear that he does not have the freedom once he agrees to the project (laughs) to, like, go where he wants, right? Like, so, yeah. I mean, he is totally foreclosed from ever reaching out to Jones again because he's he's basically then being used by the Army of the Twelve Monkeys who kind of appeal, like, we'll get to that scene where they appeal to his ego, but yeah. Then she tells her, you may call me Hannah. And it's kind of beautiful because it's a name that Jones gave her, but it's Hannah, it's Zeit claiming that name, like, it's her decision to claim that name. And 
It's also a little, I mean, yeah, I agree with that. I also always read it a little bit as, you know, well, a gift to Jones. Like, it's that first, like, she starts out the episode, you know, rejecting the connection that Jones offered her. And then, like, they close it out with her kind of extending a sort of connection right. to Jones. Yeah, it's like a... It's like that first step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just, I also just thought a lot about Hannah. Like, she's taking all of this in, but she's not going to understand her father until she gets to be with him in Legacy. And she's not truly going to understand, like, she can't reconcile right now how her, how her mother could have done all of this for her. And she's not. G- <laughs> I'm sorry. She's not going to see that perspective until one. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's just a lot. <laughs> she's not going to see that perspective until one minute more. For t- I mean, she's going to say, I witnessed you with me and get a something only time travel could make possible, right? Like a window into how her mother loved her before they were separated. But she also is going to make that same kind of I would give up anything for my son and do those hard things and i feel like that that's what leads to that moment with jones that's so loving right when the three of them are all saying goodbye god i love that scene so much i just want to throw it out there like because yeah just yeah sorry i was like exploding with that for a little bit for a minute there i know i'm sorry i didn't mean to make you upset no no it's great it's just i was just remembering like the just that shot with the three of them kind of sitting in silence like oh it's so much yeah i mean i i felt watching her in these scenes in this episode this last time that i watched it and i was like you're gonna understand what that kind of love why it would drive jones to do the things she's done And you're going to understand it, right? Like, she's going to make really, really hard choices and sacrifice her life for her child. And it's just like... The child she's actually technically already met. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And doesn't like very much, I don't think. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, Do you have any other Hannah Jones, the the tragic that part of the Jones family cycle of of having time robbed from each other, but time giving them these like opportunities for reconciliation. I mean, the good thing is they will in the reset timeline all be playing card, like they'll be playing, she'll be playing card games with Elliot and yeah. Jones will be there watching them. Right. Like it's yeah. beautiful, but oh, yeah. just one more thing just with uh, Elliot looping back to that whole, the ending is the right ending is the one you choose. He also gets to choose, uh, his end and it's kind of a culmination of his arc of having lost his rejected and lost his family and then getting the opportunity to have them back and because if i recall correctly he dies doing something for them yes yeah he he, because um we can well the olivia scene is kind of this little one-off so let's just let's go straight to the pallid man elliot jones okay um elliot jones looks the Elliot Jones that we hear about, the way Jones talks about him, it like sets us up to think that he would really be joining the bad guys for like 
right but like they Mm -hmm. kind of what and he and he totally looks like he's on the ropes right like he's disheveled Mm -hmm. um right and he's kind of having these like delusional like another great mind lost like mine right like he sounds like kind of a douche right yeah a little bit he's definitely definitely positioned that way it's like franklin and his kite although i mean right like he did he is gonna invent a time traveling city so like (laughs) let's give the guy some props (laughs) so the thing that's key is it will – he will talk about how he lost his research project because of the dead body of Ramsey's henchman who got <laughs> left behind in 113. Like, oh, right. Because Cole carries Ramsey out and his henchman is the dead body left. So that ends. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> Hard to explain. He says – he mentions resurrection, right, which is really – interesting given sort of like all of the themes of this show Mm -hmm. and he says the tech doesn't exist and would take decades and what we will find out in legacy is that the pieces of titan have been being built all over the world in different time frames and being assembled in 1852 montana um and it's it's so great because it's like he's like you need decades to build a time traveling machine and it's like well time travel can give you those decades yeah. <laughs> right? no problem. Like to, to build it and so they he asks him like why do you need it and the pallid man says insurance against the future and Elliot will tell Jones in Legacy he had no idea what he has no idea about the plague. He's looking at the conspir- like their conspiracy board, and he's like, what is all this? So he has – he goes from that moment at the end of this episode, as far as we know, off to, I guess, 1852 Montana. And he's been working <laughs> – As you do. <laughs> as you do. I mean, I don't know if they took him to other places in between. But he doesn't – he's been in the past, like – over a hundred years in Montana, he has no idea the plague's happened. He thinks he's building, the way he describes it is, a time machine arc that you can use to, like, cure cancer and, like, to help people. He thinks it's, like, to make the future better. So, like, he takes that line, insurance against the future. And, like, what the pallid man means is that what we don't even understand is we, like, we'll, we'll think at the end of this season that it is just about insurance against like having their own method of time travel mm-hmm. but it's insurance against if the paradoxes by paradoxing the primaries don't mm-hmm. bring about the red forest because that time machine is going to bring about the hartle hawking state and it's so elliot jones who figures that out in legacy right because of the amount of energy so he figures that out he tells that to Jones. He goes back to 1852. He steals the like flash drive off of the computer that's all of the layout and plans everything about Titan, which right. is what helps them figure out the whole ending. Right. So it's like such a great cliffhanger that they let us think for like another season and a half that Elliot <laughs> Jones is like this douche working like right and then it turns out that he's like he had no idea and they just like right like he's a man yeah. that has lost everything well in all fairness I guess I always I always read him a little bit too as someone who wanted to do it for the sake of doing it Mm-hmm. Like, so there was an element of he wasn't asking questions because, you know, those answers might get in the way of his opportunity and ability to, like, 
do brilliant, unheard of things. Right. Which is, I guess, why I was thinking that, you know, his arc kind of culminating in choosing to uh, ultimately destroy uh, his creation or, like, you know, Ooh, contribute yeah. to destroying it for the sake of his family and, like, that being kind of, like, you know, a full 180 arc to the ending that he chooses. Right. Such a good point. Also, uh, he's definitely anti-Red Forest. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. Right, he's doing it. <laughs> beep. Agreed. She, beep, beep is just like keeping a running column, like a tab. <laughs> um, I love, I love the structure of this episode though, because everyone's asking about Titan, mm-hmm. right? And at the end, they let the audience in on a key piece of information about Titan that none of the other characters will know until season four that Elliot Jones was behind building it. Mm-hmm. So it's like they give us a piece of information that all it does is raise a ton of other questions and we got to wait till season four to find out. <laughs> like um, the other quick thought that I had was like the the word Titan. Um, oh my God, now I'm so self-conscious of saying it, Beep, after you we- just said it <laughs> 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 you talk to Amanda? Yeah, no, it's- oh. <laughs> Mag, did you listen to the Amanda Schull interview that they I have made fun not of yet. her? No. Oh, you need to. They used to make fun of her for saying Titan instead of Titan. She just so well enunciates everything. And like That's they funny. made fun of her so bad because they're like, it's tight. Titan. So then Titan. Cece just did that. Although I noticed I noticed I noticed the keeper also said Titan. <laughs> well he episode. would. <laughs> yeah, he's a uh, he's a messy bench. So <laughs> So, really quickly, Titan. Did I do it? Titan? Yeah, I think okay. it's right. <laughs> I don't know now. Shit. <laughs> That's the same thing that happened to her. She was like, wait, I don't wait. And it's really Titan hard. Like, I don't know what to do anymore. How do you say it? It's really hard when somebody points something out and then you become self-conscious about it. Okay. So, that word <laughs> that refers to the time-traveling city, <laughs> um, of, of course, means something that's like gigantic. You know, it's a huge project as they refer to it, like as the parting line as the episode close, where the pallid man says that's why we're calling it Titan. But the Titans were also in Greek mythology, like the, a race of gods. And I think that's kind of, I'm curious, I, I, maybe it's just for fun, but they're playing God with this machine, <laughs> right? And so yeah. I love sort of that there's like, I think there's multiple layers to calling it that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, that's super appropriate. The 12 monkeys are uh, notoriously egotistical about their rights and responsibilities with the choices and lives of everyone else. Right. Okay, so before we get to the hyenas that we've been waiting for, we have to really quickly talk about Olivia. Ah, Olivia. So I love that Olivia is in, like, we haven't seen her, right? We, have we seen her since she was in the bottom of the pool? No, we've seen her in a wheelchair once before. Okay. Right. But yeah, she's definitely been severely backburnered. Yeah. So she's staring. I love the, all of the like layers of the layers. So she's staring at the word of the witness. And she's like, probably like her eyes are like boring holes in it because of thinking of all like if you're her right there you're thinking you know what you know what's not on the word of the witness me in a wheelchair <laughs> right like she's thinking about all this of the things selective <laughs> so she's like looking at it and being like this isn't on it and this isn't on it and this isn't on it right 
<laughs> okay. The, she just has this look on her face the whole time that's just like, oh, like, it's just like this, like, oh, it's such like a great expression because it's like this kind of like insulted uh, <laughs> disgust. <laughs> Like, yep. she's disgusted and, like, offended by it. Right. But what I love is, number one, it is not the word of the witness. Ethan wrote it. <laughs> Drew well, it. Twist isn't the witness. <laughs> Plot twist. But how and guess many what? times did we know who, how many times, I was thinking about this earlier, how many times was it revealed who the witness was? Like, there was Ramsey at one point, and then, the, like, yeah, Ethan, and then... Olivia, like, I just, there were so many points in the show where I was like, oh, we know who the witness is now. Right. <laughs> but you know what? We're all the witness. She's really, she's so mad at the witness. Oh, God, so mad. Sh- it's her. <laughs> right? <laughs> she's sitting there fuming at something that has nothing to do with the actual yeah. witness, and the witness is her. Right? Like, it's just Congratulations, like, ah. you played yourself, dot gift. <laughs> Yep. So there were a couple of things that I thought like they tied in. It's not only foreshadowing that like the next episode we're going to see that um, Mantis is her mother. But um, when she says, remember when mother would speak of the Red Forest, it ties into this mothers and daughters and the stories mothers tell daughters, right? Mm-hmm. And so in in a really kind of like elegant way you've got hannah coming like grappling with how do you reconcile what i was told as a child and now jones is in front of her right Mm -hmm. and in 2016 you have you have olivia sitting in a wheelchair being like we'll find out in the next episode you told me that the witness would always take care of me and she is going through her own disillusionment, right, with with what she's been raised with and what her mm-hmm. mother told her and what she believed in. Um, and so, like, yeah, she's far beyond her crisis of faith at this point. I mean, that started a long time ago, and right? She's, now she like personal, yeah, yeah, like complete screw this mode, <laughs> plotting right. vengeance. It's also and- interesting to me how she she physically looks so different. Mm-hmm. Not just yeah. because, you know, she's sitting. Like, she's not done up. I don't know that she's... I mean, I'm sure there's makeup on her because acting. But she, like, barely has any makeup. Her hair's not done. Like, she's not all done up and, like, mm-hmm. you know, looking like if looks could kill sort of thing. I mean, she's looking at him like she might kill. But um, she's just not having like that same air about her as always so it's interesting because it just presents her as more vulnerable Mm -hmm. absolutely right like i you i I feel for olivia in this part of the story right it's i think that's why she's such a compelling antagonist right like or i mean by the end she's maybe straight up villain right but like um but i also like they kind of take this idea and they're gonna kind of spin it out in season four where they mirror Olivia's daughter then and Jones's daughter, right? In daughters with Emma and Hannah. So it's just kind of, that's like, obviously you wouldn't be thinking about that in season two, but now like you've got Hannah and Olivia and the two of them. And then like how else that's going to like spin out in this cycle of like mothers and daughters. I just thought it was like, was kind of hitting me. Um, so they, they're previewing other ways they're previewing the next episode is, um, 
the pallid man saying your father gave his life um, for the Red Forest, which is kind of, a, I think, a little bit of a spin on what happens in 1961, <laughs> if they're referring to him. Um, and then you have that she says, why hasn't he come? He lies. Again, <laughs> getting to this idea of truth and lie and... Holy shit. <laughs> That's just so much to unpack. <laughs> <laughs> it's her. Yeah. <laughs> but also, the pallid man is generally very calm and creepily, like, congenial. But people better not blaspheme and say that the witness lies. Because mm-hmm. he will try and crush your face like the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> just like, like, you stop talking now. <laughs> Oh my god, it's so weird and th- like what a weird way to physically threaten someone. Mm. It's so uh, it makes me uncomfortable watching. It's intense, yeah. Ah. Uh, and then he says he's going to go secure their future, which means so many different things, right? Yeah. Like he's going to have Cole the hint to go to 1957. He's going to recruit Elliot Jones. He's going to kill Oliver Peters to make sure he doesn't make the vaccine. It was like, dude, you were really killing like five birds with one stone in this episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. This is why we're here. <sighs> Opening montage. Can I just say, this is, I think, hands down, my absolute most favorite cold open in the entire show. <laughs> it's good. It's just so good. Like, everything about it. The, like, we talked about it a little earlier, but, the, like, the musical choices, like, how they, you know, it opens with the, like, the pallid man, the way it starts with, like, him, and then it, like, f- you know, the music, it's all, like, the sophisticated, and then it just goes, like, dark and vampy and, like, flips the script to Jennifer, like, kicking down doors with her shotgun looking all, like, perky and, like, her <laughs> just excellent monologue about like collecting the people that society has cast off to start a revolution i just i love her i love her so much it's so great so the song that's playing is another kelsey carter is okay who you may know from the soul crushing cover no i know who she is (laughs) i know (laughs) i do not forget i do not forgive So that song, really quickly, I don't want to spend like a ton of time on it because I know that we're like running long, but that song's called Free. And perfect. Yes. Okay. I, I don't, she wrote other songs in season two. It, it, the two lyrics that seem super on point were Unleashed My Sanity, Locked Up Like an Animal, Liberated Me, 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 Unleashed the Animal. Brilliant. And then the other one is she has I a lot. I see the connection. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other one is she uses there's there's um some lines in there about a crown of like sticks and stones. There's like some crucifixion imagery mm-hmm. like in that song that kind of ties with the keeper. So I don't know if this song was written for this episode as well or if it's just right like really anyway. aligns really really well. Yeah, but it's so like like sexy and like right and it just kind of goes with like which makes me feel bad because they're like slicing someone's throat and the blood spraying on the window (laughs) right like going back to the line about the crown of sticks and stones too that's also like you know sticks and stones like words used to hurt them and stuff like all the things said about the people that she's like freeing and then like kind of embracing and crowning themselves with that Yep. Right. It works on so yeah. many levels. Although I'm gonna pretend I thought of that. Sure. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. No, I totally get you. I'm right here with you. <laughs> yeah. Although 
Although this like triumphant, hilarious, like for the tall, handing the phone for the tall man who pulls the strings, that phone is their downfall. I know. They like, they got so confident. We're not watching the hands. Yeah. (laughs) We're distracted by the amazing montage. (laughs) And that's like a step on Jennifer's uh, leadership journey. Like one thing, like, yeah, one thing an absolutely crucial lesson to learn is like about overplaying your hand and like, you know, pushing things too far. And clearly old Jennifer has learned that very well. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) So there's so many, you know, in some ways this episode is like reclaiming through the most frenetic, like violent, um, but also like emancipation, mm-hmm. right? It's like reclaiming the space where we first met her, where she was imprisoned mm-hmm. by her father. Mm-hmm. So the like you you when you're watching it, you're just like, fuck yeah. <laughs> right? Like let everyone out. But I mean also you have her like she's like back in her own room. Yep. We see the old drawing, right? Yep. That like closed the pilot. Yep. Um, and then she's going to draw a new symbol. On the Mm -hmm. wall, like, right? With the hyena symbol, like, it's just this, like, triumphant, like, I'm going to reclaim this space, right? But, like, oh, go ahead. Well, and I also, like, in the middle of kind of this, like, really, like, you know, hardcore, like, Jennifer empowerment, like, thing, there's there's that one... There's a little moment when she uh, uses a shotgun to blast into that one woman's room. And, you know, she's, like, all, like, kicking down the door and in there, and she sees her, like, cowering by the window and immediately, like, drops character and, like, reaches for her, like, oh, hey, no, like, you know, like, and that's just, like, <laughs> the, like that, like, warm, nurturing, like, bleeding wound of caring, like, part of Jennifer, like, peeking, like, coming out, like, instantaneously through the bravado. It's just, that's, like, that moment with Jones, like, dashing out her cigarette, like, it's just, like, this little, like, split-second break in character that's so, like, illuminating of their like true feelings and true self and i love those little beats like that yeah it's just because she's playing a part Uh she's trying on it she's trying on another identity right figuring out what works i love the writing of this monologue i got a credit Mm. card and the second amendment on my side i'm free Mm. like a virus in a preschool (laughs) (laughs) so fucking good like (laughs) oh it's such a great speech as a mom of a four-year-old i can tell you nothing is more true than that (laughs) children Um, are petri dishes it's true absolutely nothing frees you to be crazy than learning that you're not (laughs) Uh, it's just like the whole thing it's so there's i i I feel like there is some social commentary about all these women being locked up and mm-hmm. Jennifer freeing them mm-hmm. and the mannequins later mm-hmm. and how mannequins are symbols of objectifying women but True. now they're reclaimed and they're putting like weapons all over like it's- and discount grenades <laughs> right yeah discount <laughs> grenades um <laughs> anyway so like I, there's just a lot of it's all it's all there mm-hmm. and you could go write a meta about the like feminist commentary going on like mm-hmm. in this episode so my favorite line out of that whole thing though is when she says my whole life people tried to use me break me shape mm-hmm. me mold me into not me yes mm-hmm. and i think that goes back to what we started talking about earlier and meg brought up that like jennifer is such a you and she loves people and she sees people and she is so deeply empathetic 
But between her dad and her mom and whatever, they all had these expectations. Olivia. Oh, yeah, Olivia, mm-hmm. too. Everybody has always had an expectation of exactly who they think she should be. And so Jennifer right now is attempting to try on these identities because she's like 30 and she's never had one. Mm-hmm. Yep. And piggybacking on, like, uh, Cole and Cassie, too. Like, the versions, like, when they meet, like, earlier Jennifer, just looking at, like, how they feel about her, you know. Cole starts coming around first, but how they treat her and act around her and think of her. You know, she's kind of the enemy to them for a little bit. So, like, even the people that ultimately end up being on her side are kind of, like, boxing her into the the space that they think she fits in. Yeah. Um... I, I think it's interesting that they they kill the the doctor who was on the payroll and had her <clears throat> was on her dad's payroll that locked her up in season one, but they string him up like a warning the same way the keeper does. So I have a question about that killing the doctor, and I'm trying to remember the beat. Does does Vanessa do that after Jennifer has turned away? Ooh, I didn't notice that. But she's very big on killing. Hold on, I'm trying to, like, find in my notes, because I feel like... Like, it was, I guess Jennifer... Like, Jennifer didn't do that, you mean? It is, hard, it is hardcore with Jennifer, like... Because that's, like, kind of their a, whole conflict, like, how extreme Vanessa wants to be versus Jennifer, and, like, slitting the doctor's throat in that, like, opening... But she had her hand on the wall when it when the blood was there, right? Yeah. Jennifer Did she? Okay, then yeah, I like might be I'm totally know. wrong on that. I wasn't saying like she like didn't, it just, um, I was trying to remember the timeline of it just because that was like such an extreme moment in the montage. Mm-hmm. It's also, it is interesting though that she was not the one to do it. Yeah, Even true. though from what we've seen in the past, that doctor was like, you know, a, a nemesis to her directly. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's kind of like foreshadowing she's unleashing these people and yeah. she is not actually in control. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. No, she's already <laughs> in over her head a little bit. She yep. just like doesn't, she's just like, you know, riding that wave of, yeah. Right. I mean, so all of this, of course, is tying back to what she told Cassie in that um, in Immortal, like the natural predator of the monkeys, hyena. That's where she got <laughs> the idea. But the line... Um, these are end times, tall man, but not for humanity. I'm coming for you. Like, such bravado is totally turned, like, she is, he is, like, set the trap within the trap, right? Mm -hmm. But ultimately, that is true. Like, Jennifer is the secret weapon (laughs) that will bring them down, right? Like, that moment you love when she walks in in that season four finale, like, she figures out what they need to do, like, she's... She's the one that like goes and gets Deacon, right? Like she does bring down their downfall yeah. <laughs> with her friends. Just just not in this episode. <laughs> so um, if you guys don't have anything else about the opening montage, can we go to the hyena lair? Uh, yeah, absolutely. The, the discount grenade house? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, please. So they take us to the hyena lair. And as we mentioned before, they're playing that accordion discordant music that is the theme song from the film 12 Monkeys. And what I think is interesting is that like in the film, there is a Jeffrey Goins-led group of activists. Mm-hmm. Um, So I think it's like both totally stands alone in – the world of the show as we're watching like the first attempt at the daughter's origin story, but it's also like this great homage to the film. 
Um, and we talked about how, like, the mannequins are everywhere and kind of, like, what mannequins normally symbolize with, like, objectifying women. And you've got all these women, like, putting, like, their, like, ammunition around the necks <laughs> of the mannequins. Um, but I noticed, like, how, which is the problem, egalitarian this group is, right? Yeah. <laughs> Like, the way Jennifer presents the plan, the way she's talking with them, it's a sisterhood. Like, and that's the problem. Yeah. So it's interesting because to uh, personally relate it a little bit, I'm uh, at my day job. I am um, over the past year or so, I've been transitioning into a kind of management role. And I'm getting to the point where, like... um, I'm having to manage people more and more. And it's funny that like, the like I'm just, I was watched, I hadn't rewatched this episode kind of since that has become more of a thing for me. And I just felt for Jennifer so much because it's like, you want to be like the cool boss and like one of the people and their friend and like, la la, like, you know, you want to be like, it's like, like treat it like a group of people. Like, sure, I'm in charge, but like, we all have the same goal and like, we're all trying to do stuff and like, la la la. But then there like comes that awkward point where all of a sudden you have to pull rank. And like, if you haven't, you know, set it up so that people respect your rank. <laughs> yep. Oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> Instant problems. And- yeah, I had that happen last year. I got promoted uh, to manage the team that I was on and I had been at the company for like, three years and there was not a single person on my team that hadn't been that had been there for less than 10 yep and i they trained like yeah it was the same team it's not just like hey i yeah. promoted where i were it was it was really awkward and very very difficult it is really like I, you know in my old job too right like managing people who are older than me <laughs> managing people who are peers you know when they're like can i get this part of the brief to you late and you're like I want to say it's fine, but it's not fine, right? Like you know, kind of fucking everything. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, I think that there's a real, uh, absolute, real world like Jennifer's journey in this episode is like something people struggle with in real life, right? right? Like so, just with discount grenades. Sorry, I keep bringing those up (laughs) because that was like honest to God. Like I love that line so much. We got them discount for a reason. All right, so let's get to that okay, moment. So enter, so enter Cole. Cole has just been with calm old Jennifer, he has 30 <laughs> years of wisdom, and he's walking into this fucking, like, it's not a great calm situation. And <laughs> Shenanigans like, factory is how I yeah. think about it. <laughs> like all in girls its own can- way, this is the craziest Jennifer that Cole's ever seen. Like in terms of impact, yes, <laughs> right. Like, yeah, like yeah. Her action instead of just the way she's absolutely. Um, I love this sort of um, just picking up on the advice she'd given him about the shell game. You have Cole surrounded by mannequins, and the real women are hiding, mm-hmm. it, it, right? Like in them. But it is should have been a sign that things were not. Jennifer was not training people to be ready to go toe-to-toe with Army of the Twelve Monkeys because um, what's the actress's name? Eve Harlow, yeah. who plays Vanessa. She, Cole takes her down, like, like so immediately. fast. immediately. <laughs> and it's not like Cole is like – I mean, you know, actually, that's not fair. I guess he can't handle himself pretty well in a fight. Yeah. I was going to say, it's not like he's, like, a, like, martial arts genius. 
But theoretically, no. she got the drop on him. You know right. What I mean? And it's like, right. still, it's still like disarmed her. To, like, no. Boom. Right. And so, like, it's, it should be a sign that things are not going to go well. Right. But, like, yeah. but I love how in the midst of all that craziness, Jennifer's like, our eyes. <laughs> <laughs> She's so excited to see him. This yeah. Jennifer hasn't seen him since the Emerson Hotel in 102. Go find your purpose. Right, babe? Yeah, 202. Two or two. Sorry, I keep saying one. Two or two, right? Yeah, because Cassie um, came back before. Yeah, but Cole hasn't. So she had been waiting and waiting for him, and she finally found her purpose. And now she's like, "Oh my god, I get to show you what I've been working on." Yeah. And she's like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, it's like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" <laughs> so she's so proud of it, and he's like so terrified. <laughs> I do love Aaron Stanford's "What the fuck" face yeah. and "What the fuck" that like I can yeah bit, bit, yeah I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> Right. But he also, like, he plays that, like, you know, he doesn't, like, try and rain on her parade or, like, well, I mean, a little bit. Like, he, I feel like the theme of Cole this episode is, like, getting pissy that, like, people won't just, like, do what he tells them they need to do because he said so. He's like, I do not have to, God damn it, I do not have time for this. Just listen to me. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I love, though, that, like, they have this they've been going through very, very, very different journeys since the Mm -hmm. last time they were Mm -hmm. together. But all he needs to say is like the situation and she said green to red and he's like bad to worse, right? Like you're just like back in this rhythm. Like he doesn't need to fight with her about what's important the way he does with Cassie and Ramsey. Yeah. Yeah. I also like to think that part of his like kind of um, patience and like lack of naysaying with the whole like incredibly sketchy setup she has going on there because i feel like this is like sort of eye-opening for cole to like looking like seeing that what what jennifer is like i mean jennifer is you know she's trying to build a family that's like i feel like what jennifer's whole goal is like sort of throughout this whole show is she's like trying to find that space where she belongs and build the family and this is like you know ultimately she ends up getting that with team splinter and then you know, when they reset timeline with Deacon, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's like looking at, you know, this is, this is what Jennifer does with her time. She like, she collects a bunch of misfits and builds a family. And, you know, how are you gonna, how are you gonna crap on that? Even though it is again, incredibly sketchy. Cannot stress <laughs> enough how sketchy this setup is. <laughs> I want please be careful with the grenades to yeah. be like the name of this pod. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the grenades. We got the discount for a reason. <laughs> um, I mean, but they've just got so many good lines. Crazy is as crazy does and this crazy's getting shit done. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> I think I've said this crazy's getting shit done in real life. <laughs> yeah. But, um, um, the one detail that we should that Cole and Jennifer should have remembered that she outlines is that the pallid man is never alone. He is always with his henchmen. So when they finally encounter him, they should have remembered that detail. <laughs> right. Um, the other great like before we get to the hospital. She explains that she freed them, feeds them. And then one of the hyenas says she's our mother. And it like clicks for Cole. And he's like, right. Because he just came from Jennifer, 2044 Jennifer, who is the mother, right? And has all these loyal daughters. So it's kind of this great connection and also tying in with the other kind of mother-daughter stuff that's going on in this episode. 
Um, I wanted to make a quick point too yeah. because somebody had actually asked us a few episodes a few episodes ago. In fact, it was like before two o five because when we we spoke about that, we actually addressed a lot with like the mental illness and stuff. Um, somebody had specifically asked about because they made a comment here. Jennifer makes a comment. She says, "You want to start an antisocial organization? You need antisocial personalities, right? Sprung them from a handful of institutions. I mean, sure." A few of them are borderline personality, but very dedicated. Okay. So I wanted to explain kind of what I got from that line because there was some confusion or, or some potential um, kind of like offense over it. And so I would just like it to explain what I heard. Go for it. So um, whether people know it or not, I'm not sure. But antisocial personality disorder is the actual like DSM version of what we would casually refer to as either a psychopath or a sociopath. Um, and it essentially boils down to like people with a complete disregard for other people, disregard for right or wrong. Like one version of them knows the difference between right or wrong and like doesn't care. The other version like, you know, may or may not even be able to understand. You've got, um, I mean, tons of like serial killers are like this, but they have more charm. A lot of people that have it are just more like aggressive and super violent and um, you know, there can be different uh, variations of it. And I'm being like way, way broad spectrum, right? Obviously, I'm not being specific. Maybe there are people with antisocial personality disorder that actually go on to just be wonderful people. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think that you are able to be diagnosed with this without having like just those, you know, very, very triggering issues. That's kind of the whole point. So if they're to the point or that where they are actually... Um, institutionalized that would be a perfect group you know to be like hey let's just hurt people because they're like whatever right wrong i don't care like it's fine let's do whatever um and so the interesting thing to me was there was a question about ak and now you're just throwing in like borderline personality in that too and i think the point that she was making is like they're not built for that necessarily but they just really wanted to be involved does that make sense yeah mm-hmm so yeah. it was only because we were specifically asked about that that I wanted to kind of like do a little sidebar on. Yeah, sounds good. Thank I don't you. think she's like giving a treatise on like why by um, BPD is bad. I think she was saying specifically like I'm trying to build an organization that's like fine with <laughs> war, if you will. And like they weren't necessarily, you know, top of my list. But hey, we went ahead and recruited them anyway. Why, Meg? Because Jennifer loves everyone. Right. Right. I mean, she there's a huge to collect them all. <laughs> right. There's a huge range of there's a huge range of going on in that group. <laughs> right. Like yeah. in terms of what's what's going on from like yeah. Vanessa to right. So yeah. Um. Okay. So that takes us to if did you guys have anything else about the hyena lair before we go to the hospital? Nope. Just one more time. Really love the grenade line. <laughs> <laughs> Not emphasize enough. <laughs> uh, it's just the whole way it goes down, like the drop, and then yeah. they're like, <gasps> I know. <laughs> also, the um, when the and also, it shit is gonna blow up at the end of the. Episode. I know, right? Foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, just a shout out to the featured extra with the "She's Our Mother" line. I, I I love that delivery so much. Like every time, that just like makes my heart like feel so full. I know. She says it so like gently, like she's our mother. <laughs> and it's like it it's another one of those like throwaway lines that's like conveyed with like the right amount of feeling that it like really illustrates that like, 
you know, obviously, like, there's this whole sketchy situation going on, but, like, also implies that they all genuinely care about each other, which, you know, unfortunately um, sets up the tragedy that is what happens later. Right. Yeah. So they talk about Oliver Peters. I love Jennifer's like, I'm doing Dateline here. Right? Like, you're not paying attention. (laughs) That's so great. But I know that, like, but... If you Oliver, the the cover that he's living under is he he was adopted, and Jennifer's father Leland helped him find his birth family, and it's his birth brother who's helping him, right? And so, so really quick, is there yeah. actually? I could, I still can't. Is there actually a brother, or was that like? I think that's right, right? Because shell. she says in the hospital, my brother helped me. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's true. He did say that. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's – they they kind of wove in another, like – Okay. Adoption story and a birth brother helping you even though he didn't find him until later, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's kind of like – it's in the background, right? But, like, it's interesting how they, like, wove that in just as we were talking about that kind of, like – that whole theme, that yeah. thread that runs through like so many of the different things going on in this episode. Um, we haven't seen Oliver Pe- like so Oliver Peters. We haven't seen him since he was imprisoned in the storage container, and Cassie let him go. So he knows Jennifer from working at Markridge, right? Right. He hasn't seen the two times he's either interacted with or heard of Cole is in the pilot. Where Cole was like, basically like act like running into the cocktail party trying to shoot people, right? And did that analysis on his body in the pilot, and he was there for the whole Chechnya plot. <laughs> you remember? So like, I think he thinks Cole is dead in Ch- in Chechnya. Oh right. Yep. Am I thinking that of that sense. the right way? I don't. Honest, I will be super real. Every time that this episode comes around and all repeaters shows up, I'm always like, oh right, you're you exist. right um what i think is so interesting is you know he obviously created the virus the second time under duress because they were they kidnapped his husband and killed his husband he is trying to atone for that so like he is working as a janitor in a hospital so that he can have access to a lab to work i think right to work on a vaccine. Oh, right. So what was he sneaking back into the fridge? Like, I was like, are you, like, casually just trying to slip vaccines in there? Like, they just won't notice if this, like, new homemade <laughs> basement-labeled drug shows up? Like, ah, yeah, seems legit. We'll try this when people start getting sick. Or, like, did he borrow some ingredients or something and was trying to put them back? But then yeah, that raises just, like, the question of, like, like, what, he just needed a fridge? I think so. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Like, what was your game plan, dude? I don't. I mean, unless he's trying to like inoculate people beforehand, I don't. I just, I did not understand. Just needed to be chilled. Yeah, that's right. But like, so it's got a nice apartment. Why would you keep it there? Like, this is just. It seems like he might almost as sketchy. (laughs) He has to actually clean to keep his job. (laughs) Okay. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So if he's using their lab access, he's just mixing it up in the basement. I got, I was thinking he like brought it from home and then was gonna. (laughs) (laughs) He's brown bagging. He's not brown bagging it. What are you doing? (laughs) Okay. Sorry. Um, Total sidebar. So I think it's like, so, you know, this is another reason why it's so tragic that he dies in this, like, 
Right. It's like you're not you're not right. But like he was he was working on a vaccine Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the pallid man takes him out in this episode. So we go to the debate between Vanessa and Cole. And the first part, like when you're watching it, you're like, Cole. So this group is not super into the patriarchy. (laughs) So (laughs) the last room, (laughs) read the room, dude. The last person who's going to win this argument is a dude. (laughs) Like Jennifer should be the one saying that. Right. But so it's kind of like, I don't know. There's some leadership fails (laughs) in in terms of being able to motivate a crowd. Cole is not reading the room. Jennifer is not stepping up and taking control of the situation. I think it's like, a really interesting debate because it's where truth, like this theme, this thread of truth and the thread of leadership like intersect, I think, um, in that they're debating what do people need to know, what's best for them to know versus what should they know, mm-hmm. right? Like, do you tell people the truth that 7 billion, that, that a plague is coming and 7 billion people are going to die because they deserve to know because that can help people prepare. And Cole's like, no, dude, I live through this. It's going to be chaos. Right? Nobody reacts well. Right. I mean, or, or they'll react even worse because it's like intentional, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, I mean, I. on the other hand, maybe they could have, pre- I don't know. Like, it's a legit debate. I yeah. Think. Oh, like, absolutely. Yeah. So you have sort of the comedy. Like, at one interesting moment, I thought, on rewatch is when Vanessa points the gun at Cole's head. The noise, like, Jennifer's physical reaction mm. is her- the noise that must be going on in her head from the primaries. God, right. You know? Yeah, they are not having that. <laughs> right? And so, like, you – there's you know there's voices in her head but now when you rewatch it you're like oh my god they must be all like freaking out in her head everything starts screaming at once (laughs) and you have the comedies of paddles clear (laughs) like she's watched er well that's many many times (laughs) that's jennifer like she's not gonna let an extreme situation mean that she like lets go of her flair for the dramatic right i mean the other thing that i think is so interesting is like jennifer cannot command this group no she is going to, in about an hour, <laughs> or get thrust into leading the daughters in 2044. Who will also, which it's interesting to like think about, because there she definitely tries to like be more taking charge, but she's still not quite there. Like she doesn't have, like I feel like in this scenario, her issue is that she's still trying to be one of the guys. Mm-hmm. And then- you know, an hour from now, she's rec- she's already learned, like, okay, that didn't work. But she still lacks the confidence to step into, ultimately step into the mother role that she needs to step into for them to follow her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really, like, it's kind of mind-blowing when you think about Jennifer goes from this horrific day mm-hmm. right into 2044 and leading – the daughters and how well, strong in this is case, she though she started with like the worst group possible mm-hmm. like nobody could work with this group of people if you're mm-hmm. you know what i mean if you decide to do something against whatever it is they decide they want to do like no and <laughs> it's another course, bag of also, she, yeah she's also not prepared for it but yeah. like her her new group or like the daughters that she ends up raising up they're not like people yeah right and then also um, how, yeah. like, just just a Jennifer appreciation moment, how strong and resilient 
does she have to be to go from like you know getting this group blown up to agreeing to take responsibility for a whole nother group in an even more like dire situation Mm-hmm. And then also sending Cole back to this time and not telling him anything about it, knowing that this is what he's going to experience, what she already went through and mm-hmm. is not attempting to change it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a brutal leadership retreat, Jennifer. So she clearly gets there. <laughs> like, she clearly learns. Yeah. 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 <sighs> Uh, all right, so um, then we have Cole and Jennifer's fake but real fight. <laughs> so, like, do you think it was a ruse all along? Yeah. To- okay, but you... Yeah, because of the eye contact they made with each other. They were both, like, that's how in sync they are. Like, yeah. they looked at each other and they're like, okay, we need a distraction. And then they just went at it. It's a thing of beauty. They're like, in sync, the, yeah. how in sync they are. But the thing is, if you have a fake fight with someone, then you have to think of things to say. <laughs> right. And I'm a little, like, side-eye at Cole because he, like, actually went for some real stuff. Whereas Jennifer, otters are in the weasel family. <laughs> Well, like, she right, can't so- even fight mean. No, well, she said, well, hold on. Wait, so she's like the one that came up with that anyway. Like, <laughs> right, Cole's like, I, I've, I'm going to, in a couple episodes, ask you not to call me that. <laughs> so, right, but like, okay, so what Cole says is, I can't believe how many times I defended you. You recruit lunatics and give them weapons. Rude. Like, fair. Well, yeah, but rude. That's slightly true. Uh, it's pretty true, guys. And, like, you know. She's like doing he, her best. I mean, Cole's, maybe not great freezing, but, like, yeah. Cole's having a day where he he started his day getting bit on the hand by old Jennifer. And now he's, like, I, I got a gun. Like, he's, I can get why if you're Cole, you're not. But then you, the otters are in the weasel family. <laughs> Sat soulful eyes, backstabbing hands. Yeah. And what I love <laughs> is as our friend Amy, who's been on this podcast, always reminds <laughs> us when we say otter eyes, is she's like, otterous, otters are like murderous. <laughs> like, yeah, they're little necrophiliac assholes. I like I know, Amy. I know. That's what makes them cute. <laughs> so it's true because it's like what she's even saying about otters is actually true. Yeah. Right? Like otters do are really like murder each other if anything she went kind of soft on otters right but then jennifer calls him a control freak well he kind of is though yeah also fair right (laughs) like Like, this whole thing this episode has been like everyone just do what i'd say right i know the mission not you your priorities in telling the public the truth about the plague are not important as saving the universe (laughs) Also fair. <laughs> My mission is the most important. You, Cassie and Ramsey, you just he knows, sit on your thumbs. Also, he knows the mission because of her. So well, yeah. it's always back to that circle. There is that. Right. Right. So then, obviously, they take the person out who's guarding them. And then Cole's like, so about what I said, yeah, we can hug it out later. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> See, but she, uh, like, I don't think she was remotely offended. Or, like, took any of it to heart. And normally I think she does that, but this time it was just like, eh, whatever. Yeah, I think with them, I think they're in a place, like, uh, what they both said was fair, right? Like, and and honestly, the the criticisms they have of each other combined to get themselves in the situation where they're in. Sure. You know, like Cole telling everybody what to do and not delivering it by the right 
messenger. Um, and, you know, he should have pulled Jennifer aside and been like, you, you should tell them, right? Instead of, right? And mm-hmm. then Jennifer, I think, is appreciating the cons of her current situation <laughs> of what she's done, right? <laughs> Final confrontation. You got Cole, Jennifer, and the pallid man. In some ways, the three of them being back in the basement of a hospital facing off is like the way 102 ended, right? But that time, the pallid man went away with Jennifer. And also, the torture and things we're going to get to call back to Paradox and they call back to the night room, right? Right. Because the pallid man tortured Cole's hands. (laughs) So as graphic? Oh my god, the bamboo is like Oh I right, oh worse. god, yeah, that's right. I blocked yeah. it out. Oh, the oh no. Right, like Oh no, it's back man, in my head. What is it with fingernails? Oh, I don't like hand sense. stuff. I really don't. I don't either. Right. Um and so the 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 line of I see a trap, no asshole, I'm here to save you. And the pallid man is like, dude, I've set the trap for you. Yeah. <laughs> pallid man's like, you dum dum. <laughs> so <laughs> Right, you have you have this the the scene that we talked about with the, with to 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 nocturne, <laughs> which is Cole's moment. Like he's torturing the pallid man for a reason, but it is very shot very similarly as to when he was beating Aaron Marker for his father. And Cassie reminded us that at the beginning, mm. and le- that but then his retort, the pallid man, you killed some fathers. Man, right? Mm. Like, but also Agent Gale kills the pallid man's father. So there's kind of like this like circle of fathers being killed because of this whole mission. He also (laughs) seemed to be trying to uh, shove a wedge between Jennifer and Cole in that moment, Mm -hmm. specifically referring, you know, to hers and kind of looking at her like, you know, he killed your father. Right. Yeah. Um. So then after being, with the exception of when his hand is pummeled with a hammer. It's like ripping open, right? Oh, it's so. It's like compound. uh, Oh, it's so bad. Grossness. It's so gross. But then he's like bending it. Like, no, don't do that. I know. (laughs) Well, I wonder. for the wound. (laughs) I wondered with the comment of like father and everything we find out about the super engineering in the next episode, if his ability to like recover from that has to do with the way they're engineered, Mm. if that makes sense. But okay. So um, Cole, he tell, he, he is creepily calm in between hammer strokes. Um, He's chilling. This is all, everything is going according to plan. He's uh, right where he wants to be. Right. Okay. So he tells Cole about 1957. And the way now we watch it, keeping in mind what Jennifer said sort of at the beginning of the episode about the shell game, right? You've got the trap that he obviously has set in this episode, but him telling Cole about 1957 is like the trap within the trap. Because they were looking at the word of the witness at the beginning of this episode. He needs Cole to go to 1957, right, to New York, because it's on the word of the witness that he is going to give birth to the witness, right? Mm-hmm. In that, so, so there's so many things to like uh, unravel here, right? That's why the pallid man thinks like not only like he thinks this already happened, like he knows that it's already happened, right? That the red forest is coming and that it, they're not going to be able to get to the primary. But he also is luring them there because that's going to get Cole there to conceive the witness, and then like 
the pallid man, the next time we see the pallid man will be at Titan with Cassie to close the season. Right. So it's like setting that trap. But also you have the added complication that season four, Olivia is the one that's giving him the instructions. And and all of that God, is just right. To, right. To ensure <laughs> the circle's preserved. Right. So like there's like and then he says upstate New York birth of the Red Forest, which I think can also mean birth of the witness. Right. Like con- conception of the witness, like a memory of tomorrow. And he is fucking with Cole at that point. (laughs) Like, memory of tomorrow is the mantra of the visions to Cassie, and it's them meeting at the House of Cedar and Pine. And so there's so many layers as to the head game that, like, the pallid man is playing with Cole, but then the witness is playing – that Olivia is playing with the pallid man who was just threatening her face at the beginning of the episode, right? (laughs) Like, it's so great. Um, And then everything goes boom. And we bring, or we find Jennifer mixing drinks like I did in high school at the Emerson <laughs> Hotel. <laughs> so, guys, I know you have feelings about this scene. Talk to us about the scene. It's just, it's, it's just so heartbreaking to see, like, because it's you know Jennifer. This is Jennifer's first big thing that she tried to do on her own. Like this is everything up until this point that we've seen with Jennifer has kind of been either like someone else pulling the strings or like Jennifer in a holding pattern or like Jennifer like you know just being at a total loss for what to do. This is like the first opportunity, like or the first instance that we saw that Jennifer you know took initiative and like really threw herself into this thing and like really tried and then you know compounding that like emotional like you know it's also something that she like really cared about like both because she's like helping her friends like these are these people that she considered like look how excited she was to see Cole like she already considers them to be like him to be like a best friend you know like Mm -hmm. I mean actually if you think about it He's probably at this point the closest friend that she has because her whole life is kind of a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like she's, you know, she's taking the initiative. She is contributing this thing to help her friends. Like even though they're not there, she knows that they're out there and this is like helping them. And then she's also, you know, taking these people that she sees herself in under her wing and trying to like get them to like, you know, cause she sees like, she's in this place where she feels like she's got this, she's on it, like la la. So she's trying to take these like other people and like that, you know, she relates to and help them get to the same place with this sort of like, you know, naive optimism that they're all like her and they all care like her and they all have like these good intentions like her you know, then had to watch and then watch that fall apart before it ultimately got tragic. And then (laughs) for that, like, further component, on top of all of this, like, Jennifer is just like, she's lonely. She doesn't have anyone like she's she was trying to build her family. She like was trying to like create her place in the world and fill it with people that she cared about and that cared about her. And then all just like imploded on her and it all imploded on her because of what she did, like just to Mm -hmm. compound it a little bit further. Like she thought she was being really clever, but she was actually just like kind of naively bumbling into this larger plot. And so it's just this whole like layer upon layer upon layer of like tragedy and failure. That's all just like collapsing on top of her. 
Right. And I mean, when the kind of foreshadowing of this, Cole saying this is the price of taking people on, like, you know, he lost his father to this fight and he was just face to face with the person who killed him. And Jennifer says, I didn't pay it. You know, the line earlier when they were fighting and she was like, oh, like I have all this bravado, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I, if I sent you back and I'm still alive, right? And Cole's like, but what about everybody else? Yeah. Right? And so, right? It's just... You know, and then also, like, the people – it's not just the hyenas who died. Like, it was a hospital oh, full of hospital. people. And I love that, like, how much Jennifer Care like, you know, she calls that. She's like – she doesn't let you forget that that was part of it. She was like, that was a hospital. Yeah. But, I mean, on the other hand, there's a twofold – there's a twofold lesson in this. The first is part of being a leader – is asking sometimes people to pay a price that you're not, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's, I think, so, like, I don't mean to, like, but but on the other hand is to take that risk. And, and and when you ask people to do that, it needs to be like a very solemn, carefully considered decision. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like, Which there's a twofold, wasn't. right, but there's a twofold lesson there because yeah. she is going to make the choice when she talks to her older self who chose not to take her daughters to Titan, she's going to take this experience and the advice of her future self saying, I wasn't brave enough. And she's going to ask them to go to Titan, even though it will put their lives at risk. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's worth it. Yeah. But she's also going with them. Mm-hmm. Right. Like to bear that as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, there's just a lot of really, like, I think pretty profound observations about the nature of leadership Mm -hmm. and this point in her journey of it Mm -hmm. um yeah and then you get to the uh, the the another loop coming full circle and i think it's so the way she delivers like do i become a woman in the future who failed everyone and cole is just like he can't right now he's in the position of the person who can't say something Mm mm-hmm and can't reveal what he knows. And there's just this very weighty, like, no. Yeah. Quite and the her- opposite, actually, babe. <laughs> right. You I mean, so many people. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you have the tell me what happens, how does it end, and then Cole, and then the way they splice it, right? Like, he's realizing and there can are many I just, endings. From yeah. a, like, technical, like, how they cut it together perspective, I love that. I feel like making the choice to cut to Jennifer's smile and not Mm -hmm. like, you know, like, I feel like it'd be really, Mm -hmm. you'd like think like, oh, you hear her say the line and it's like an echo, like, oh, callback. But they were like, no, we just cut to after that, we invoke that moment, the audience makes the connection right along with Cole. It's like this real time, you're in his head moment. That and also I just him remember, yeah, and like rem- now he understands, right? Like you make that, that connection right when he does. Like you are yeah. experiencing that in real time with him. I just, I really love how they like pull the audience into that moment with him. Yeah, because she's smirking at him, not about the quote, but about the wise man. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ah, uh, right. Oh, it's, it's just so, so well done. good. I know. I just okay, love and this the friendship. Tortoise. Oh, Terry, I know. <laughs> Terry the tortoise. <laughs> I know. Cole went and got her tortoise for her. Like, I love that Terry is like the constant. I think that tor- that's the tortoise's real name. 
<laughs> it's yes. random. Yeah. Yes, it was, it's hilarious. It was random. It's just so like what a sweet like detail uh-huh. in their friendship, uh-huh. you know? Like he went to her apartment and got her pet for her, uh-huh. like or from Hyena Lara and and so she wouldn't have to. Yeah. You know? I will be um, I will be super real. I know that it you remember that when I first started watching this show, I was um not a huge fan of Cole. Like I didn't dislike him. I just wasn't all that invested. But what uh the relationship with Cole and Jennifer and how he was kind of the first one to start coming around on her and the care that he takes with her was definitely um I think the turning point with me getting more invested in his character mm-hmm. and well being. Cause I just I love people that love Jennifer, man. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, it's it's so funny because Jennifer used to – she used to frustrate me. <laughs> and so, right? But it's like the, a different journey. Like, I loved Cole. Yeah. And Jennifer used to frustrate me because I'd be like, what is she talking about? Right? Like, Explain. in some ways you're – And so, but they're – but they're – right? It's – I have the same rea- – like, these moments with Cole where we got to see them kind of bear their insecurities mm-hmm. and support each other, like, made me more invested in her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah. Like, yeah. It, it's just really good. Their friendship is just so pure. Like, I feel like they don't, like, there's so much baggage and stuff on the line with, like, everyone else. But, like, their friendship is just, like, so pure and uncomplicated. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's really fucking complicated. But well, yeah. yeah but, well, but I guess I shouldn't, I shouldn't, yeah, the circumstances of it are really fucking complicated. I just mean, like, the the yeah, connection between them is the uncomplicated part. Like, I feel totally. like they just kind of, like, clicked with each other and then kind of went with it yeah um so the other the last thing is i love you want to talk about like um living for the drama they totally milk their goodbye to make you think that they're not right like it's like the lights flicker and they and they go back to like that season one mantra right (laughs) of like the time to go see you soon right and the delivery is so and then it's like knock knock (laughs) (laughs) so great it's such a what the fuck moment and cole is like beat up and like you're like what the fuck is happening and like he's just he's just come from like total chaos and needing right and like he needs and like she's coming from this soul crushing leadership failure and is going to get thrust into like meeting the future self that she was you know earlier in the episode being like well future me said like right and now uh, well hon you're gonna have to go meet her right now (laughs) (laughs) so such a great setup turning point in her own journey (laughs) yeah yeah right all right. I think we did it. Oh. Woo! We did it. Meg, thank you so much for coming. I hope you'll yeah. come back. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, And I would love to. I don't know. I was going to say, hit me up for, like, demons, but that might just be, like, a mess. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a lot of good Jennifer stuff ahead. That's so, yeah. true. You have some great episodes. 
We have another Megan. Megan Goes Wine is going to be back for 210 Fatherland. So we've got... 1961 Berlin, Betrayals, The Return of Agent Gale, and haha, he's not really dead, so now I can watch it without crying. (laughs) (laughs) And um, the Dr. Kirshner Olivia origin story. So lots to flail about um, and connect to other episodes next week. If you guys have anything else, we'll see you soon.